Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by Jillian Carroll of KSN and Wichita. As we'll catch up with Jillian, talk some soccer and some Chiefs and a few other things when Jillian stops by coming up later on. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. And as always, we'll end the show with our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. Joining me today, Brian O'Connor is here for the whole show, filling in for Thomas Bridges as uh, Tom made the impromptu decision to drive overnight to Memphis to see his Spurs play against the Memphis Grizzlies. And he is uh, there now, actually, getting ready for that game tonight. So uh, I, I'm, I gotta say, I was a little surprised uh, when, when he told me he was doing this, but it's not, uh, off-brand for Tom to do that uh, type of thing. So, uh, Bo is uh, here with us now. Bo, how we doing, man? Hey, uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me today. Uh, glad I can sub in here and keep the seat warm for Thomas for a week. And uh, I hope he's being safe in his travels, having a good time. That's pretty cool to get away, go to a playoff game, see your squad, you know? that's Oh, you know he's not being cool. safe. I mean, like, we can eliminate that possibility right now. But you just had quite the trip yourself, right? You made the uh, trek up to New Jersey in, what, a 72-hour yeah. stretch? Yeah, I did a, a little thing, a little personal gig. I ran out to New Jersey to try something, pick up some stuff for a collection, and uh, uh, made a purchase and had to drive to New Jersey to go pick it up. So it was a um, – I was gone about a – about two and a half, three days, just to kind of left Thursday midday and then got back late, late Saturday night. So I'm recovered now as we record this, but it took me a couple of days. The uh, the body doesn't hold up at uh, 45 quite like it would have at 25. When those kind of I need trips. to be more adventurous like you guys, just these uh, quick, sudden turnaround trips. I mean, uh, I'm missing out here. Well, you've, you've done quite a bit of traveling before <laughs> with different gigs and places you've had to go. I've heard your stories of go do cover this game, that game, another thing, and then you know you've done quite a few. But uh, I'm looking yeah, forward. It goes, I don't I'm do it often. The summer ahead, Bo. Uh, that's uh, getting back on the road a, a little bit more uh, over the uh, next few weeks. I'm headed to to uh, Dallas for a few days, Tampa, New Orleans. Uh, we're, we're dubbing it, Bo, as we return back to normal and get to travel again. This is going to be the uh, the summer of Jones. Summer of Jones. That's like a Seinfeld quote, like, like a, the Summer of George, you know. <laughs> so we're all in. Everyone's going to be a part of the Summer All of in, baby! <laughs> Drive it like you stole it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, we got a lot to uh, touch on on today's show. And where I want to start is with the NBA playoffs. Now, if you're listening to us on Thursday, then you already know the outcome of the Warriors-Lakers game. And, and I can tell you this with without having seen that game yet, that no matter what was going to be made of that game or if, you know, the Lakers were to fall to the, uh, the other play-in tournament game, I had this just inclination bow that there's no way the NBA would let the Lakers just get eliminated and lose two in a row here. I feel like the NBA is going to do everything in their power to keep the Lakers in the playoffs 
and probably you know, hell they, they helped out the uh, the Celtics the other night. The foul discrepancy was just insane with what the Celtics got away with in that game against the Wizards. So if they'll do that for the Celtics, of course they'll do that for the Lakers here. I mean, um, you look at how down ratings are in the NBA right now, some of the most historic levels we've seen in quite some time. Um, this NBA playoffs needs LeBron. They need Steph Curry. Uh, they, they need these guys to be involved here. I would, I would be surprised if we don't see – uh, LeBron and the Lakers uh, in that uh, next round uh, and try to carry this the way through. That's the other thing, too, is, you know, whether they're the seven, eight, nine seed, whatever, whatever it is, or I guess the seven or eight seed, they're still going to be the favorites in the East, even though they won't have home court the entire time. Uh, this is still the team to beat. And in this COVID year and such, when NBA teams had the worst home court advantage they've ever had in league history here. Um, the, the, the seeding is irrelevant. It, it's essentially, Bo, the Lakers is a seven or eight seed or just play in reverse. I mean, you're going to get the same matchups you would if you're the one or the two seed. You're just going the other route, just giving the opponents, making it a little more uh, more even of some sorts, giving them another home game or two, I guess, in this case. Yeah. Well, the last thing the NBA wants is Utah and Phoenix as the one and two seeds, <laughs> being what they got. Um, so, you know, in theory, if you look at just those final four teams and you figure, okay, the Lakers or the, or the Warriors, one's going to win. We don't know which one. We're recording this, you know, earlier on Wednesday. It's going to be – by the time your listeners hear this, it'll be over. And then you figure the loser's probably going to win the game against either San Antonio or Memphis. So you could get them both. But what the NBA really wants is both Golden State and the Lakers to win that first series. They want teams in the mountain time zone out the paint. You need to get them off television. It does not help anybody. Uh, they don't want, and they especially don't want Utah. That's just, and that's not a knock on Utah. As people of Utah, that's just they don't have a fan base, and. I mean, you could argue with Phoenix, they're at least the guys of some up-and-coming young players. Chris Paul, you know, I feel bad for Chris Paul. You know, he's never gotten out of the first round. Yeah. And he now he gets the they got the they have the one of the two. Phoenix. They get the two seed. You talk about so think about it. they're gonna get either the Lakers or the Warriors. So great. The best Chris Paul has ever finished is the two seed. And what's his reward? playing against LeBron or Steph Curry. Right. I mean, that guy, it's about the bad luck. Um, but, yeah, you know the NBA wants to try to get the Lakers and the, the uh, Warriors as far as they can. they really like to see a Lakers-Clippers series in there if they can get it somehow, some way. You know, oh, mix that up and, and to put that off as long as you can would be good too. What about on the Clippers front? This is a team that – could have been as high as the two seed. And I'm convinced they intentionally lost games down the stretch trying to avoid the Lakers here until they absolutely need to. I'm looking at that, Bo, like, why aren't you just taking them head on? You would have to go through them at some point anyway. And when you play them, your home games are never really going to be home games. There's going to be more Laker fans there anyway. I thought that was just yeah. pathetic of the Clippers. And it was kind of on brand for the Clippers as well to try to avoid the, the Lakers like a plague here, like they've been the uh, last couple of days to finish out the irregular season. Yeah. 
it would serve the Clippers right than being the four seed if the um, Warriors won Wednesday and then the Lakers won Thursday. So the Lakers would be the eight to get them in the second round. <laughs> right? You no. Know, or the Clippers lose to the Mavericks and you just don't. That's true. And- you know, it's just, uh, you're right. The Clippers, I mean, it, this is why you just don't play with, you don't tempt fate. Don't tempt fate. Just play your games, play out the string, do the best you can. Don't try to worry about, oh, we got to avoid such and such. I mean, right. it doesn't matter if you're the four or the three, if you're playing the Lakers in the conference finals or the conference semis. It doesn't matter. You're going to have to play them eventually. It's winner go home, do or die. Yeah. Um, I know the Lakers are, are still the odds-on favorite according to Vegas, whether they're the seven or the eight seed, whatever it may be. Um, even if they're on the brink of elimination, uh, you know, by, by Saturday, whatever it is, uh, they are the favorites out of the Western Conference. But, Bo, I'm looking at this, and to me, the, the concern with the Lakers is not the fact that they're going to be a seven or, or eight seed, whatever it is. I could care less about that. To me is we haven't seen a consistent Lakers team that can stay healthy, that's had everyone there all season. It's been so hit and miss. I can't trust this team to still be together uh, throughout, you know, this playoffs, even if they get past the first or the second round, who's to say another injury doesn't pop up or whatever it may be. I mean, Dennis, Dennis Schroeder says he's not getting the COVID vaccine. And so you wonder if that is going to affect him, if he's going to be out for a bit, whatever it may be. Um, I can't, quite buy into this Lakers team, not because of seeding, but because of the inconsistency I've seen when it comes to injuries and what they've done this year. Well, I understand where you're coming from, and I don't think you're wrong. I, I, the reason that I buy in the Lakers here, I, I'm not a Laker fan, but they got LeBron. And it's going to come down to how he plays. If LeBron comes back and he's at or near as good as he can be right now, then the Lakers are the favorite. They will have the best player. And they and if LeBron can't play at the level he's accustomed to playing, then the biggest problem I see is can Anthony Davis be the dude? Can mm-hmm. he be the guy? Like he's had a couple of great, great games this year. And we Anthony Davis could be Kevin Garnett if he wants to. Just take over a game, 40 and 20. He can be that guy. Um but if you if LeBron isn't the first choice, if he's not playing at his best, then who's number three? Who's the guy that steps up and is the third option that helps take some of the pressure off LeBron? Um, you know, that's going to be a big thing. It, you know, is it going to be a different guy each night? Is it going to be you know a particular player? Uh, is it going to be you know? Andre Jordan some nights and Mark Gasol some nights. It's going to be Kyle Kuzma. Um, you know, who's going to be that guy that steps up and says, okay, you know, I'll go out there and get you 20 a night in a big series. They need a dog. They need one. Yeah. They can't rely on LeBron to do what LeBron has done his entire career in the playoffs. He's taken some really future teams to the playoffs and gone really far on some really poor, talented teams. He's got some talent here, but 
LeBron's not the best player on his team right now with that injury. It's Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis has got to be the guy. If not, if the Lakers will go as far as LeBron can carry. The team I like from the West is Utah. And I thought it was going to be the Clippers, but with the way that they've kind of mailed in the season, you know, down the stretch and such, um, that kind of sold me out on them that this team's not taking this serious enough. Um, you know, I, I couldn't buy in that way. But with Utah, this feels like a complete basketball team. We wondered at this time last year if there was going to be any way that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy, Rudy Gobert could coexist after what went down with Rudy Gobert getting COVID and the internal fighting that happened amongst that team. And it seemed like that it was uh, going to end in an ugly divorce between Gobert and Mitchell, that one of them was going to have to go. Instead, uh, credit to their organization for being able to work things out and uh, getting those two on the same page for them having a really good year, 52 and 20, playing some really good basketball Quinn Snyder, you know, this guy was a joke at Mizzou. And now he's looking like one of the best coaches in the NBA. And each year they have overperformed in the playoffs and done a really good job at that. I like this Utah team. I think this is the time Utah break, breaks through and uh, they get to the uh, NBA Finals, Bill. You know, the team I'm looking at is the Nuggets. I want to see what happens. The Nuggets you know Jamal get- Murray. Yeah, I do. I, I think that I, I like what they're doing. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen Michael Porter just have be great in the last month. Um, I, I like what they're doing, and but I think a lot of it's also going to shake down to how that seeding works. You know, they're the three, so in theory, they have the two seven winner. So they need the Suns to upset either the Warriors or the Lakers for them. Um, but the fact that you're playing at Denver. I think that's something that would be a tough deal if they have home court. Um, so that's one I'm looking at. I don't disagree with you on the Jazz. I also like the Suns. I do. I, I, I like the veteran leader and Chris Paul. And then I've gotten to see them in person last season, right before COVID. Um, and, boy, I really like a couple of the players on that team. Um, you know, I like Devin Booker. Uh, Jay Crowder's played well. Um, I mean, Paul is Paul. He's a steady force in there. Um, DeAndre Ayton, I think he's incredible. I've seen him play in person now. Um, That's a guy that I just think is in this league. If this league was 15 years ago, we're talking about he's one of the best players in the league. He just plays a position in the play to be in the big that nobody really plays anymore. But, man, they get a little two-man game going, him and Chris Paul. If they need to go to something – in a situation where you need a couple of buckets, slow down some momentum of another team. That's a one-two game you can play in the in the post that is something that nobody else can play and nobody can defend. Right. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, on the Eastern Conference side, um, you know, we, we saw in the play-in tournament games there that Indiana just laid a shellacking on Charlotte. Uh, they go home and – they're done. The uh, Hornets are the first team gone fishing in the uh, 2021 playoffs. And uh, that roster is about to self-destruct. Devontae Graham and several others are going to be free agents that they'll likely not be able to retain. Uh, Indiana looks good, but now they face a Washington team that finished the season really strong, but laid an egg last night against the Celtics. Um, 
you know, I, I, I'm not betting against Russell Westbrook there, but even then, whoever wins that, I feel, is positioning themselves just to lose to Philly anyway. They're not getting past Philly. As far as Boston goes, Boston getting through and now going to play Brooklyn in that 2-7 series, kind of the same deal there. Nice win for Boston. Great night for Jason Tatum to throw up 50 points. That's all fine and dandy and all, but uh, – they're about to get swept by Brooklyn here. Brooklyn's the most complete team in basketball right now. Yeah, I think the Eastern Conference is a three-team race. The Sixers, the Nets, and the Bucks. You know, Antetokounmpo keeps – and Giannis keeps the Bucks in there. Uh, the Sixers, I mean, I just – if Embiid's healthy, he's, I think he's the best player in the NBA. So um, – and then you have Brooklyn who's just – I mean, they're just stacked with, with talent. Um you mentioned the Celtics. I wanted to ask you something. So, is Danny Ainge going to be the GM of the Celtics next year? That's a good question. Um, I wonder about that. I think that they they get they're going to get a pass of some sorts with Jalen Brown being out. Um, mm-hmm. I think that buys him and Brad Stevens time at least another season. See, I think Brad Stevens is a good coach. I think Danny Ainge is a terrible general. Yeah. I just – he keeps trying to stockpile picks. And, and what do they have to show for it? What do they have to show for it? Nothing. They haven't been able – their deal was always they were going to get one star and they were going to build with young players around him, and they couldn't keep Kyrie. Um, they don't have that – Jason Tatum's their star player. and he, You know, yeah, he's, he's a great piece, but he's not the guy you can build a team around right now. The Celtics have shown – basically nothing and returned nothing for all those players they gave away. What did they get in return for two hall of famers when they gave up Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce? They got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And that's about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they kept trying to trade down, trade down, kind of like, and you just kind of pick up extra picks thinking, well, we'll have, we'll get something. And they just never hit. I, I think that goes in the organization. It goes on the GM. I think Danny Ainge is afraid to actually make a pick with a pick. Uh, it's I don't like think they there's, there's no reason that they should have had all those number one picks, all those first round picks, and be a sitting here as a seven. It's it's as if they were handed a bunch of free money to go to the roulette table, and they hit once, and then another time they they hit on the 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 black, but they didn't get the board. And then they just yeah. kept missing. They couldn't get the roulette wheel it's, anytime. It's like they kept well, it's like they kept saying, well, we'll just bet, we'll take the free money and we'll bet on red or black. Right. And we're not gonna get a lot of a lot of we're gonna get a little bit off of this, but not a lot. And then when they do try to pick a player, it ends up not being a good pick. But they throw when you try to do that, pick that one number out of 36, all of a sudden it comes up a zero. You know. <laughs> I, I just don't think that, that that's good. And other teams have shown that you can build while you, you know, turn your team over and you can play decent. I mean, look at what the Miami Heat did over the last few years. They lost all the big three. You know, two left. Well, what we, you know, Dwayne Wade retires, LeBron leaves, and Chris Bosch, you know, gets his hurt and gone. And at no point were the Heat just a disrespected team. There at no point were they like, oh, my God, we just lost the big three. These guys, the Celtics did the direct opposite. And that's a, that's a reflection on Danny Ainge. To me, I just 
as someone who kind of half likes half likes the Celtics, it, it to me it makes me not want to like them. It's like you're not even really trying. You're just throwing the same shit out there and hoping that something sticks. And in, in the NBA, especially, especially now, you've got to be trying to make your roster better at all times. A couple more things in the playoffs before we move on here. Um, one thing that is interesting to me, Bo, and I don't know how big of a factor this is going to play if it plays one at all, is that with this play-in tournament, the one seed is not finding out who they're playing until, what, a day or two before the series begins? Historically speaking, we've talked about these seeds – you know, having a good, what, four or five days to scout and get to know their opponents and such. Um, Utah and Philly, they're not necessarily being rewarded here on the limited time that they get to, to know their their eight seed. Now, in the NBA, different compared to college basketball, you have seen everybody. You've seen these teams multiple times before, but it does play to a disadvantage. Do you think that's much of a big deal at all? It can be. Um, I think it's a bigger deal in the West this year where you've got those two studs sitting there with, with the Warriors and the Lakers sitting there. I think the Jazz are going, okay, we wish we knew which team we were playing today. Um, I think it's less of a deal for the Sixers. But um, I do think it's I think there's something to it. I think the matchup issue to it is something. Um, yeah, I think it puts the Jazz in a little bit of a – if you look at you on paper, you pull the Jazz team, you pull the Laker team, you go, which one's more talented? You know, if you're the one seed, you should be able to have a real good feel for who your opponent is already, and they really don't. So that that I can see. It's the same thing with the Suns in the, in the seven. Um, so yeah, I do. I see your point there. Um, I I don't dislike this idea. I don't really know how I feel about the playoff, the play-in bracket. I. I don't dislike the idea, but I'm also not married to it. Right. I, I, I like it for these COVID times when everything was uncertain. We didn't know if everybody was going to get through and have the same number of games played, but I don't know if I like this long term. I think I would like it better if the one and two got a buy. Yeah. I think I would like it better. I think maybe you play a three-game series. You let three through ten play a, a series. Take it down to six teams. Maybe I mean I don't know if that's the right answer. I, uh, maybe you they're, they're doing it because they want to get rid of. They're, they're trying to do it one make it a little more exciting because of COVID times. But then also they're trying to get rid of um, um, teams losing. Uh, what am I trying to say here? Um, tanking. They're, they're trying to get rid of tanking. And, and so okay, well let's let's give the one and two a. Um, Bye. And then let's get what I would leave you. You need, you would need six teams. You would need, yeah, you would need six teams to play in the, well, you would need six games. So you need 12 teams. Yeah. But yeah, that gets rid of some of your tanking. And at the same time, what makes a two, three situation kind of, kind of cool. Right. So now a team like you were just discussing about the Clippers and then kind of tanking here at the end? Well, what if the Clippers were a situation where a month ago they realized, hey, we are only two or three games out of the two seed, and we got a little bit of that momentum, and maybe we have that team on our schedule still? Well, what if we're trying to play for the two, so we need to buy? Right. 
that might be something to consider. If, if tanking's the issue, then you put more teams in that way too. So um, you, know, you work backwards a little bit. So you'd have 12 playoff teams per conference. And so that would only be, that would leave you with what, three, three in each conference. You'll leave you three teams not in the playoffs. But that first weekend, that first series, I'd make it a three-game playoff. The best yeah. two out of three. I can see that. So you can get that done the weekend. You can get that done Thursday through Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Back to back if you have to. Um, as we uh, wrap this up before we move on here, uh, I said I like Utah of the West, Brooklyn out of the East. I like Brooklyn to win it all. But I feel like we're in for a very intriguing playoffs, e- even though it does seem like pretty clear which teams are the elite ones. I think there's still a lot to figure out in all this here. We're, we're in for a treat the next you know month and a half here. That's what I would lean towards is uh, Brooklyn and Utah in the NBA Finals with Brooklyn winning it all. What say you, Bo? Who would you have to win it? I, ooh, the West is the toughest one for me. I like the Sixers in the East. I okay. I like the Sixers uh, in the East. I think it's them and Brooklyn at the end there. Um I think that Brooklyn having to play Giannis and then the Sixers back-to-back is going to be the issue. They're going to have to go from one distinctly different type of takeover player to what the problems in Embiid is going to provide to them. Um, in the West, I want to take the Lakers just because I don't ever want to pick against LeBron. Yeah. I just There's a part of me that says this guy gets to the finals every year, and he does. And, and – if he's still hurt, I mean, if he's not 100%, if he's not 100%, but if he's 80%, then I'll take any team that LeBron has. Okay. That's but that's that's my – I'm saying I'll hedge on that. If LeBron's 75 80%, I'll take LeBron. He's going to find a way to get there. Your O'Connor advice, and, uh, hedge fund bets going on LeBron. That's- yeah, and then I think I like the Lakers in the championship just because, I, I mean, it's hard to bet against LeBron. I, I yeah. just – it's a valid point. You know, and I'm a LeBron, I'm a little bit of a LeBron stand. I know that, you know, and uh and and I, I admit that. I think next to MJ, he's the second best player of all time. I think there's an argument that he's a strong case to be number one. I do, and I, I I'm not gonna passionately argue it, but I do think there's a case. I just he's a fantastic player, and he's a he's a great, great athlete. If you're not a LeBron fan, if you're a LeBron hater, then you're just a hater of athletics. That dude is special. Like, he is the kind of – LeBron James is the type of athlete that um, it's almost mythical. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for and that's why, I'm a fan. that's why I'm a fan of his. I just look at that guy and I go, ever since he was – I mean, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 17, and he's been everything asked of him and more. And I just find that very admirable about him. And he just turns his will on and goes. And it's funny that when we back in the day, when it was talking about the will and how Jordan, how great Jordan was, Jordan was fantastic. But we don't give LeBron that same credit. And he's will some real future teams to the NBA Finals. He has. He has. That's, so. that, that's for sure. Um, you mentioned tanking earlier. Uh, I got to say, you know, I, I don't have a dog in this fight when it comes to the NBA Finals this year with my, my Thunder not being competitive at all this year. They did the tanking thing. They didn't even tank right. They, they somehow 
uh, beat the Clippers on the last night of the regular season. Like, what are you doing? Fire your like the New York Jets. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just like the Jets. But what, what I've done in the, the, to soothe my pain of Oklahoma City Thunder basketball, Bo, you like this. Um, probably more than 100 times in the last two days, I've gone to the uh, the NBA draft lottery, draft uh, the lottery simulator, and uh, somehow I keep landing on the Thunder getting the number one and the number five pick, and that means Cade Cunningham comes to Oklahoma City, so uh, that's what I'm just holding out for. That's my my last hope at this point is uh, <laughs> is just playing that simulator at this point, and, and now I know the pain that a lot of NBA fans have felt the last several years, but... That being said, we will uh, go ahead and move on. Uh, speaking of Oklahoma, we'll uh, go to Big 12 football. And, uh, you know, we'll have the football fix coming up later on, so we'll talk more pro football. But an interesting nugget this week from Pete Futek of, U- of uh, Yahoo Sports talking about expansion within the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has a new commissioner, and his name is George uh, – Kilikoff, and he was with MGM uh, working in in Vegas and such. And uh, basically, the Pac-12 is trying to completely rebrand and restore this conference as they've fallen on the hardest times they've seen uh, in the history of their conference uh, from uh, just not being competitive in football. I mean, basketball went real good for them in the NCAA tournament this year, but no one respected the Pac-12 going into the tournament. And the money-wise, they're receiving significantly less money than any of the other four conferences. The Pac-12 is in big trouble. Their network has been a disaster. Um, and the Pac-12 membership is not happy. And so, uh, you know, going forward, I think the big question becomes, as we get near the grant of rights being up again, is who is going to be forward thinking. I think we will see some expansion of some sort, some changes uh, among the Power Five in college football, but it's a matter of, I think the most interesting point, will it be the Big 12 or will it be the Pac-12 that makes the aggressive moves, that makes the run at different teams? And, you know, there's a couple of perspectives that you got to look at here. The Big 12 is in a better position financially than the Pac-12 is right now. But the Pac-12 could look at the Big 12's resources and take the right teams and put themselves in a much better position here. I mean, it's it, it's a potential dogfight between these two coming up to, you know, kind of potentially narrow this thing down to four conferences. Um And who's to say, too, that the SEC, Big Ten, or ACC isn't interested in any of the Big 12 or Pac-12 teams themselves? I mean, that's not out of the question, although it seems unlikely with them already having high amount of teams here. Big 12's at 10 teams. Pac-12's at 12 teams. And so now you look at this and – you know, from the Big 12 standpoint, I would hope that they're forward thinking in, okay, let's expand out West and go after Pac-12 schools. 
bring in your Arizonas, your Arizona States, bring Colorado home. Um, you know, maybe you go even to, you know, try, try for some of those California schools like UCLA or, or, or SC, whatever it may be. Um, that would be what I would hope would happen. If, if you tell me, okay, Tyler, what can, you're in charge. What do you want to happen? I'd say, okay, Big 12, go get some Pac-12 schools and expand to 16 teams. Um, and based on the way the conferences have managed themselves in the last few years, the Big 12 has made a lot better decisions than the Pac-12 has. I would put more trust in the Pac-12, the Big 12 to be more aggressive and do this right. But if you go further back, remember, it was the Pac-12 that did bring in Colorado and made that happen. But here, here's the thing. Here's the thing in all this. If we're going to revisit this, you know, however many years it's been, 10, 11 years since the last round of conference expansion, the teams that moved, almost all of them, if you got a couple beers in them, would say probably they regretted it of some sorts. Um, you know, Mizzou has not worked out well in the SEC. Colorado has not worked out well in the Pac-12. Nebraska has been a disaster in the Big Ten. Sure, some of these schools may be getting more money. In Colorado's case, they're actually getting significantly less than what they'd be in the Big 12. Um, but I see that there's going to be change, and I think the change is going to be sooner rather than later, uh, Bo. A lot to figure out. I would guess the Big 12's got the, the better end if it comes down to these two team, these conferences of, of going after expansion. I would give the edge of the Big 12 here, but – uh, there's still a lot to figure out. What say you? So I'm, I was reading the same article and uh, thinking about this. So I think one of the things that the, the Pac-12 did here, I think was really smart, was going and getting an executive from MGM. MGM has been uh, the, the, up the forefront of sports gaming. They're at the forefront of, you know, everything that's going on with uh, the online gaming and what's going to happen there with, sports betting opening up in so many states. Um, I also think that the Pac-12 has also been more progressive when it comes to uh, player the rights, the, the rights of what all people can do. Um, you look at uh, image and likeness, you know, it was the California teams that were the first ones to come out and say, hey, we're going to allow you to do this. Right. Um, I think that's going to help certain teams when it comes to recruiting. Um, if you can do name, image, and likeness, you can get out there and be in California or you can be a, a West Coast team, you know, a, a Pac-12 team, as opposed to being a Big 12 team where they're a little bit backwards. They haven't gotten there yet. You look at the central part here of the Big 12 country, there hasn't been – these states haven't opened up to this online gaming piece. You know, here in Kansas, we don't have it. Uh, you can do it in Oklahoma yet, can you? No. Uh, I know you can't in Texas. Um, you know, Missouri, well, I think Missouri's not in the conference anymore, but these states don't have this. And I think that that's where some of this money is going to come from. And what will happen is name, image, and likeness comes up. We're also going to start seeing conferences make deals with MGM Grand or MGM Resorts and MGM Gaming with things like DraftKings and FanDuel and Barstool. And we're going to see them making that deal. That's where money's coming from. Um, I do think eventually this is all going to be four conferences, four 16-team mega conferences. Football is going to dictate that when it's all said and done. 
Uh, so now it's going to be the next few years as name, image, and likeness comes out. That's the first domino to fall. The Pac-12 is being, um, I don't want to say benevolent, what they're trying to do, they're trying to get in front of this thing. You know, if you look at it, if you have, I, I read the two, the 10 teams they speculated that, that maybe uh, teams the Big Ten would look at, or the Pac-10 would look at. The top of the list was OU. KU was number two. San Diego State, Oklahoma State. That was their top four. UNLV is five. Um, that's five teams to expand your blueprint. Um, grabbing San Diego State makes a little bit of sense there. Um, Texas Tech makes a little bit of sense. That was their number six. Uh, Nevada, I don't see the other rest were Nevada, Fresno, Boise, BYU. I don't see those um, bottom three being part of it. I don't see Nevada as that. But if a conference wants to add th- four teams, let's say, and you could add KU, OU, San Diego State, and Oklahoma State, it's a pretty good conference. And I think now we're going to see that schools aren't going to be tied to the same things they were tied to the last round. You know, years ago, we had the merry-go-round last time. You know, KU and K-State didn't want to move because they were going to have to split up. They didn't want to. I think KU's probably not thinking about K-State right now. Um, OU and Oklahoma State, I still see together. But uh, I think it makes sense. And I think the Big 12 made a big mistake in only staying at 10 teams. I think it makes it easier for teams to pick the little parts off of them than it is for them to invite others when they give so much to Texas. When you give so much power to Texas, who really isn't that deserving of it, frankly. I think that now you're going, well, okay, you can go be a Texas conference. I I think it would be a smart move for an OU. I think it would be a smart move for KU, Um, especially if those states – approve sports game. I think that, that and name and image likeness, name and image like it's going to go hand in hand. I think I think we are going to see a massive expansion of these conferences. And I don't think it's imminent. It's not going to happen in 2021. But right. by 2023, 2024, we're going to see basically four major conferences. What in, initially is the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC. And you'll see all those other conferences will cut some dead weight off. And then you'll see the big 12 kind of get divvied up. Yeah. I think the the last team standing without a partner are going to end up being Texas and Notre Dame. Because they think they can be on their own. Oh, you use the smart thing and they're going to go to a conference. Right. The thing to me though, is is with the PAC 12, that PAC 12 network is holding them back. It's unlike any of the other conference networks where the SEC, the Big Ten, and even the ACC network have been successful in good revenue streams because those networks were smart enough to partner with Fox and ESPN to take care of the bills and be profitable. Um, And even though no one watches the Longhorn Network because Texas partnered with ESPN, they get a nice check from ESPN each year. But in the case of the Pac-12 networks, because they have not partnered with a TV network, they can't get on cable, that thing's costing them so much money, and they're losing money from it. That, to me, is what I wonder in all this. You had the Big 12, who 
is not attached to a network that can you know, bring teams in and say, hey, we'll, we'll figure something out. We can do the streaming. We have flexibility here. The Pac-12 says, well, we got this, you know, we, we, we got this girl that doesn't want to leave and she's very hammered and we can't get rid of her. What do we do here? Um, yeah, that, that I don't know how they're going to figure that out with the Pac-12 network. Nobody's watching cable anymore. Well, yeah, uh, that's that's the piece they have to figure out still. You just said that. No one's watching cable anymore. I think the network piece is going to actually be something that's going to be kind of a dying model. I think that what you've seen from the Pac-12 is that going and hiring an exec who has been, you know, in this case, basically a sports gaming exec is going to bring in more money through other channels to make it attractive to players through name, image, likeness, to bring in monies from DraftKings, from the FanDuel, those sort of things. These are something that these other conferences are going to be resistant to, I think. They're going to the SEC has a big deal with ESPN now. You know, they're moving from CBS to ESPN. You know, NBC has Notre Dame, and that's all they've got. Fox is sitting there with a Big 12 piece and a Pac-12 piece, and they tend to lean more toward that, big, that, that Pac-12 piece for their bigger games. I think Fox is going to be the team, that be the company that comes in and says, hey, we'll let you put some sort of package on our package team up with oh, DraftKings yeah. I mean, and Duel, and then, Fox has got then their own. Got, and then you've got all the revenue you want. Right. Fox has got their own sports book. Uh, they yeah. got their own sports book with Fox Bet that's growing around the yeah. country. Maybe Fox Bet gets involved in all yeah. that. I just think that you're going to see that happen, and I think that's going to be the big next big thing. And in the next TV contract, it's going to be who gets Fox to spend money. I don't think CBS is going to spend money anymore. Not the way they just did it on they spent too much on the NFL. Right. And they just let the SEC go. You know, they're not going to make a play for Notre Dame. Right. NBC is not going to add anything. So now you're sitting there with the prettiest girl and Fox is the prettiest girl. The Pac-12 already has the end there. Right. So I think it's actually kind of genius of the Pac-12 to get in front of this. I think the Big 12 is the conference that's at the most, the mercy of everybody else here. I like the Pac, the, the Big 12 has got to be worried. The thing that would keep the Big 12 together is if Texas and Oklahoma make some kind of pact, they're not going anywhere. But right. they've got to keep them happy and they've got to do whatever it takes for those two. And I just got to think at some point, Oklahoma's going to have to look at it and go, hey, Texas, what do you really bring to us? Right. We can still play you in a football game. Right. You know, we'll still go play that game in Dallas every year. We'll still do that. Right. You know, and make a side deal that says, hey, we want to play this on ESPN. Yeah. You know, or I FS1 mean, or whatever. We're in the same conference until 1996. I mean, yeah. it's not a long time, you know. I mean. Yeah. So I, yeah I, I think we're going to see when we do see this thing shake out. And I think we're a couple, I think we're still a, year, a, couple, a few years away. I think the, the Pac-12 adds a few teams. The Big the, the Big 12 is the one that kind of scatters. And I think the ACC jumps, uh, chops off the bottom. And I think the SEC loses um, Vanderbilt and possibly South Carolina. And that's something we haven't seen before is kicking out members of conferences. Yeah. 
Well, you're going to see everyone go to 16. I think you see four 16-team conferences. It, that may not even be that. You may still see conferences shake out the way they are now, you know, sans football, and football be its own thing. Yeah. You know, I think we can move into that as well. If we see that, then you don't see an SEC, you know, Big 12 football. Instead, you see the Super Leagues. Right. Yeah. And, know, and not have the way to, to do that, honestly. Regulate that like soccer. Right. Not have to be affiliated with the NCAA and, you know, pay pay the guys and do what you want and, and such. Right. And think about how that works with name, image, and likeness. This gets a lot off the plate of the NCAA. If you take football away, it makes it easier for Title IX. So you can have an equal number of male and female sports and scholarships, because you don't have that, that 85 football scholarships to worry about. Then you're going to get revenue both ways from the NCAA, from what you're negotiating there, and from football contracts, which are going to be second, which are going to be a whole different animal. And at the same time, name, image, and likeness, your biggest stars in name, image, and likeness that you're worried about, the amateurism parts of it, they're all football players. There's a few aside in basketball and a few other sports, but majority of them are football players. So now your compliance just got a lot easier because you don't have to deal with any of that anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to see compliance people get involved here. I think the next three to four years of college sports is going to be very fascinating and, and to see which way this goes. The well, they already run the game early. They they already- out, they're just trying to get out in front of it. They already run the playoff uh, by the conferences. It has nothing to do with the NCAA. And so you already have that establishment going there on that front. As far as these teams go, by the way, of uh, who's rumored in uh, by Yahoo to be you know, looked at for the Pac-12, um, the thing that I look at, Bo, is, is needle movers. Oklahoma, that's a needle mover, big time, yeah. right? Um, KU, as much as I love the University of Kansas and, you know, glad I went there and such, um, last time I checked, Kansas had a pretty crappy football program. Um, And the Kansas City market, another place I love and such, Kansas City is market number 32, not the biggest market. Um, You know, basketball is great in Lawrence. I get all that, but I don't think KU is that big of a needle mover right now. I don't think – if you, if I was in the Pac-12's position, KU's not the second school I call. No, um, they wouldn't be the second one for me either. They'd be third or fourth. I think KU is in a position where they're trying to get their stuff together to be more appealable to these conferences, uh, to be an attractive entity. Because right now, I don't think KU's attractive at all. Yeah, I think I was the Pac-12. The, the, the three schools I would look at, OU is obviously number one. I, you got to make the call to Texas. You, gotta you have to. I mean, you got to ask. I mean, the likelihood is no because they want to be themselves. They want to be their own thing. Texas wants to be Notre Dame so bad. Um, but then I think that a couple of, like, no-brainers for them is UNLV and San Diego State. And, that, and I disagree on, on those schools. I don't I think, think it's no brainers. I think that's the teams that can come up. I, I, I think it's no brainers. I don't. I don't think either one of those schools are ready for prime time. 
I think UNLV is. And I think that San Diego State can't be in football. I think the biggest thing – so the, here's the thing is that there's – outside of Oklahoma, there is no needle mover, as you called it, available in any conference. You know, I think uh, I think Texas Tech and Oklahoma State would be welcome additions in the Pac-12. I think they would be too, but they're not needle – they're the same kind of needle. KU is a bigger, bigger, as big a needle mover as Texas Tech. See, I, I disagree with that. I think – you, you bring in a whole lot more with, with the state of Texas, with Texas Tech and that football. Yeah, yeah, you're not acting like Texas Tech's the whole state of Texas, though. <laughs> Texas Tech's looked like the fourth, you know, fourth or fifth team in the state of Texas. Hell, I'd rather have Houston than Texas Tech. See, I, I think Texas Tech, I mean, you got great facilities. I, I think the, West the, Texas the, is, is massive. The, the three, I think the three needle, the, the, the ones you can, to me, that was, are you, I can argue are the needle movers. Oklahoma by far is. And it's the only one who's really a needle mover who could move. Houston's the one to me. That if I was going to make a call, that'd be the team I'd call. I'd see if I can get you. I mean, if that's the Pac 12, get Adam tomorrow. Yeah, they should. They, they should have. And, and that's the team that you, you're looking at. Houston's the fourth biggest TV market. You know, you have a school that's right there, the biggest school in town. Um, people who are Texas or Houston people are Houston people. You know, I think I think them and I think TCU would be another one I would talk to. But then you get you're getting Dallas. That's a big thing in Dallas. Um, you know, I think you look at those kind of things. I don't think we'll see this massive move just because I don't think Texas moves. Right um, now, if if the Pac-10 or Pac-12, I'm sorry, the Pac-12 can get Texas and Oklahoma, then the game has changed. Then it's game over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because then, then what you're going to see is you're going to see the SEC and the Big Ten decide, okay, we're cutting off some fat and we're going to get teams. Because then what's going to happen is the SEC is going to say, Vanderbilt, you're out. Clemson, what do you need? Right. You know, then you're going to see the Big Ten go in and say, Duke and North Carolina, we'll take to have you come with us. Right. I mean, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be things like that. We're still a ways away from this all happening. And it's all going to be dependent on name, image, and likeness. And now we know that the NCAA lost the case. And this is going to, this is going to be huge. And they're going to lose the Supreme Court. When it comes out in a few weeks, they're going to lose. And it's going to become – the people I feel sorry for in this thing are compliance people at every university. People in the compliance departments for every athletic department, I feel horrible for because their jobs are about to get a load hard. Just a bit. I yeah. Think so. And it's going to – I read something this week. It was talking about how in some states they're already legislating for name, image, and likeness where the state universities are going to collect the money that players are going to get for name, image, and likeness and distribute them not to the players, but to all players. Right. I guess this is being argued in a couple different states. And in those states, your top players – they ain't going there. You know, I think I think I saw this is happening in Georgia. And I was like, 
Um, whoever's running the University of Georgia program better be telling everybody who's a bulldog, no, 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 no. We do not want that anywhere near us. Kirby because Smart no is smashing the TV right now hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just, no, no recruits going to Georgia if they pass that law there. All right. You know, if that law, think about it, if that law got passed through Rocket Texas. You know, it, it, it can't be about name, image, and likeness. This thing changes the game forever. Forever. Amateurism will be dead. Mm-hmm. And, and right I find it funny. I find it funny. A little quick right sidebar. Quick little sidebar on this. And so I met, I was talking to a friend of mine who's, who's actually from England and he's a huge, huge sports fan. And he was trying to get me to explain to him, this is about a couple of years ago, explain how college sports works. And he was like, so the players don't get paid. And I said, no. And he goes, they get a scholarship? I'm like, yeah. And he says, but the schools get a bunch of money. I said, well, no, the school doesn't get a bunch of money. The athletic department gets a lot of money. I said, it's a separate entity. And he goes, well, so then the NCAA gets the money? Yes. <laughs> so he's like, how is that not slavery? And I was like, well, in a way it is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's indentured servitude, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there are people who have used that to their advantage and gotten degrees by playing sports and it's come up for them and their families. That's wonderful. I shouldn't call it slavery or indentured servitude. But then there's some where you go, wait a minute. You're being told what to do 24 hours a day. And you're not getting paid to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the argument can go both ways. They can't. They can't. Uh, we got more football talk coming up in a bit. We'll have Coach Bull's football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Plus, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. Also, want to talk some baseball uh, coming up later on. But next, Jillian Carroll is going to join us and uh, going to talk some soccer, some Chiefs, some other things with Jillian when she stops by. Coming up next here on the Jones Report. Stay with us. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week, it is our good friend Jillian Carroll from KSN in Wichita. Jillian, always a pleasure talking to you. What's going on with you? Thanks for joining us. So good to see you, Tyler. It's been a little while, so it is really good to catch up with you. You know, just hanging out down here in Wichita, baseball is back and the community is thrilled. They are getting around the Wichita wind surge, double 18 for the Minnesota Twins. The crowds have been incredible. Um, the team's doing pretty well to, to start off with as well. So uh, we're just excited that sports are back. And the community is just thriving. So pretty good time down here in Wichita, for sure. You know, Jillian, I've always admired your work, and I think it goes both ways. And, and I got to tell you, you know, from, from you doing now this this game hosting with the uh, the Wichita baseball team there, the TV gigs, still helping out Chiefs cheer and such. I mean, when, when do you ever sleep? I mean, the, the grind never stops. I, I respect that so much. Uh, no, likewise, Tyler. I think that you also live that life. But yeah, life has been is been um, my cup runneth over. Let's say yes. <laughs> there's lots to do, um, and I embrace it all. So we we are on the move. That's for sure. My l- young girls soccer team. So Sporting KC has affiliates in 12 different states. Uh, we are one of them. We are obviously in Wichita. Um, we're wrapping up our last season. Just had a fantastic performance at the President's Cup over in KC and now we're looking forward to wrap up here and then get into tryouts before you know it they're going to be back at it again but we have a good summer of soccer 
coming our way in Kansas City. Obviously, the Gold Cup, I'm sure you're aware of that, coming to KC. Super excited for all of that, and hopefully I'll get my kids out to some games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, now I got to know, uh, we've mentioned before your coaching and coaching experience and such. I I'm very curious, Julian, what kind of coach are you? Are you pretty hard or are you, uh, you a softie or somewhere in between? What kind of coach do comes out when, when you're out in the field? Yeah, it's a good question because I smile more than most people on air, I would say. But you put me on the field and things change a little bit. As a former <laughs> Division One player myself, you know, there's not too many moments of smiles and laughter uh, during the game, certainly, but or even at training for that matter. But I would think, I would hope that my girls would say that I am hard on them, but positive, if that can be done, right? So in a positive way. Um, but I save my I my smiles for the celebrations after. That's for sure. For all the wins and all the goals scored. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Uh, Julian, you mentioned this big summer of soccer, and you know, with the gold cup going on, got the Olympics, of course, coming up later on this year as well. Um, as we return to normal of some sorts, you know, getting back to these big crowd sides and such, soccer is gonna play a big part of that, not just for Kansas City, but really America and the world of getting back to normal is that the, the beautiful game itself is going to have a big role. I would imagine in that. Yeah, it's for sure. And I'm, I'm not one to shy away from a moment of bragging on our women because the NWSL was one of the first groups back to live sports amidst the pandemic. So they had um, the tournament that the Houston dash was victorious in, but they were back at it. They did it in a professional way and players were safe and testing um, was done very, I think every single day um, on players, but they did a great job of getting back and they did it in a safe way um, and provided some entertainment for, for the world who really needed it at that time. There's no way around it, but yes, definitely soccer will be a big part of this return to sports, kicking off the gold cup in Kansas city. Uh, very excited about this. Kansas city deserves this. The crowds that they pull, uh, the organizations, the way they come together and collaborate to make these events, huge events, fan friendly, uh, and a very high quality facilities, um, everything turns to, you know, this is why KC is the soccer capital of the world, right? Um, and so July 11th kicks off, I think, the 15th, 18th. I know it, it, it comes together with USA versus Canada, which is very exciting. Um, so, yeah, it's just a lot of good, high-quality soccer right in our city. And, you know, I might take a minute to just kind of shout out the up the Kansas City um, World Cup bid. So the KC 2026 World Cup bid committee, they have done a phenomenal job of doing so much behind the scenes work in regards to preparation for hosting the World Cup, as many games as we possibly can, maybe some training centers as well. But they are hard at work, um, pulling in partnerships from around the, the region and just solidifying that support. And that's why Kansas City continues to host these games, right? So um, it's exciting, you know, and before we even get to summer, we've got Kansas City women back in action, right? And so, you know, is, is um, coming up as quickly as Tuesday, May 26th, they host the Red Star. So that's gonna be incredible. Um, it's gonna be a high quality match as well. I'm not sure if you got to make it to the home opener. I did not. And I'm very upset about it. 
but um, local Hugh Williams, head coach, is doing his thing, and he has the talent. He has the hype, if you will. The community is thrilled that the women are back in action in our city, um, and they've got some incredible players. So obviously, you think of Amy Rodriguez, Nicole Barnhart, um, Lola Bounta, just high-quality soccer, fast, fun, um, hungry for goals. It's going to be a great match against the Red Star on Tuesday. The Red Star boasts many faces that are regulars on the U.S. Women's National Team. Julie Ertz, um, Mal Pugh, uh, Tierna Davidson. It's going to be a tough matchup for sure. Um, but again, just happening in our own backyard, it is phenomenal for the young ladies, the young gentlemen, just to see that high quality soccer in our city and it's back and it is going to be doing some really good things. So, I mean, I don't have enough excitement, enough words to express my excitement for this summer of soccer. It's going to be tremendous. Oh yeah. I mean, you and I, we had this discussion, I think like about, what was it? Two years ago about mm -hmm. the idea of professional women's soccer coming back to Kansas city. And you know, that you know, it just needed to be done under more organized circumstances that it, it could be done, just need to be cleaned up a little bit compared to what it was the last time around. Right. And you, you mentioned Kansas City as being this soccer capital of sorts. That was really the only thing missing. I have not doubted. I don't know about you, Jillian, but I, since the moment they announced that the U.S. was getting this World Cup bid, I've never been one to doubt that Kansas City would see World Cup games. I don't know if we're going to see Team USA play here, but I do think that we are pretty good chance, about a 95% chance Kansas City is going to see World Cup games. They continue to get matches and matches time and time again, high-profile events. Um, that was really it, wasn't it? Just the women's soccer of holding this from this city being really the soccer, soccer capital of sorts. I mean, once we know that they'll get the World Cup games, they'll have pretty much everything then. Yeah, I agree. And when that term kind of was first put out, you know, and, and Kansas City was nicknamed the soccer capital of the United States, um, it was when we still had our women here. So if you remember, it was Sporting Kansas City won MLS Cup. Mm -hmm. The now Kansas City Comets, then Missouri Comets, they won uh, MASL, so indoor. And then, of course, the NWSL, FCKC, under Vladko Andonovsky, obviously now U.S. Women's National Team head coach. He was formerly our head coach. They all three won their respective championships. Mm -hmm. So how could you not call us the capital of soccer uh, in our country with that type of record? Um, but yeah, to your point, now that they're back, and most importantly, I think back in the right way, as you put it, with tremendous ownership, um, I had the chance to coach uh, one of the, so co-owners, the Longs, Angie and Chris Long, one of their children, four great kids, one of their daughters uh, played for me. And when, when you have the opportunity to coach someone's children, you really learn about them as people, as parents. And let me tell you, they are tremendous people. They are competitive, they are passionate, uh, but they get it. They're forward thinking and they saw a need to bring this game back to the city because the city was hungry for it and they did it in the right way and they went out and got the right partners. And I, I don't have enough thank yous <laughs> to share with them. Um, but I think the way the community is showing up and supporting, I think they're all on board and incredibly grateful. So it's back and it might be better than ever. We just have to see what Hugh Williams can do 
because Vladko had a couple championships. So <laughs> we'll see if he can bring bring home some trophies as well. Yeah, yeah, trophies uh, certainly are nice. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure uh, on that front there. When it, when it comes to the, the World Cup bid, you mentioned that, uh, of the progress that's being made there. Are you kind of along the same lines that when you're thinking of, you know, matches seem to be a good shot, Team USA yeah. matches probably unlikely. What, what say you as far as, the outlook goes for Kansas city and attracting the world cup goes. Yeah. I think it's first of all, wild that we can now say, okay, we're picky. Who do we want to come or what do we want to come? Um, but that's a celebration in itself. We know we'll get something. Um, you know, we could be a host city for a team as far as their training facility goes. We could be one match, two match. We could be a, a series of matches. Um, I'm pretty confident we will have some matches at this point, I don't think anybody really truly understands what team will be located where, um, but how cool would that be for our kids and even for selfishly our coaches in the area to go observe? Like how cool, I mean, obviously not everything will be open to the public, probably not a lot. However, to know that that level of play and those athletes and those organizations and teams are right in our city, it's tremendous, but I'm with you. We will get something I'm hoping for a couple matches. I'm hoping for USA to come through because they would be welcomed with open arms. And I don't know if you saw just recently uh, the bid committee secured surrounding regions, basically from their club and youth organizations, essentially committed to making the trip and being here for games and being here to support events. So again, centrally located, um, really great access and support from the surrounding communities. And I have to say that's a big shout out to sporting, having their hands and their own organization in those 12 different states. It does a, it does a great job of just building that relationship and making sure that they do feel connected to Kansas City. Um, and I think all of the things like that, for example, and then the behind the scenes work that the bid committee is doing, that's why Kansas City is being held at a, at a high valued place and location for these games that we're talking about. How cool would that be if we had Team USA? I can't wait. I'm, I'm so excited. Oh, absolutely. Uh, would be awesome if, if that's the case uh, on, uh, on that front there. And, you know, when we talk about you know, Kansas City of getting World Cup matches. We're going to have the NFL draft here not too long from now. Already have hosted a World, you know, a couple World Series and AFC Championship games, you know, the last, you know, three years now too. I mean, everything is coming together. It's amazing just how much things have changed just within that, this last decade. I mean, Jillian, I still have ingrained in my mind those visuals of Power and Light District when, the, the Team USA women's national team was on their run just a couple of years ago. I mean, the the identity of Kansas City has changed rapidly and, and for the better in, a, in a, a quick amount of time here. You know, I think back, and I would love to say it's my Chiefs because I'm so biased, but I think back to the Royals World Series parade. Mm-hmm. And I, think, I was there. I, <laughs> I think that's the first time that people – saw us and their eyes were opened in a big way. Like, look at this just river of blue, just, just running through this city for miles and miles. And the fandom just grew and grew and grew. And then obviously enter the chiefs. And 
sprinkle in there some incredible performances from Sporting Kansas City, obviously from FC Casey before they left. But, you know, I just think all of that was kicked off with that that parade, I think. And I could be wrong on that one, but I think that's where we finally made our, I don't know, announcement, if you will, that, hey, the fans here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's tremendous and uh, it's great to see and there's still a lot more a lot more memories to be made there in the uh, the future in that front. You mentioned the, uh, the the Kansas City women's soccer team. How exciting that is! What about with uh, with Sporting KC right now? Uh, what what's what's going on with them and and uh, Peter Vermees' squad these days? You know they looked fantastic against Vancouver. So three nil win. Uh, Polito with two goals, Shallowy with one goal. I really credit Shallowy with two because he drew the foul in the box, which drew the penalty, which was Polito's first goal. But uh, Peter Vermees, just man, he just does it year after year after year. He just gets the absolute best out of his squad. Um, obviously, Amelia just came back. Having him sit out for however many games that was to start out, that was tough. Um, Tim Melia is pretty, I mean, he's as close to irreplaceable as they come, not only for his performance, but who he is for the team. Um, and you know, when you're starting your first season ever without Matt Beasler, um, it's different. And so, uh, you know, Zussi came back that match, Beasler came, oh, excuse me, <laughs> Melia came back that match and all they were firing on all cylinders. The team looked really good. And this was interesting to me. I feel like so against Vancouver, Vancouver is coached by um, Mark Santos, who used to coach the Sporting 2 team. Remember when they used to be uh, Swope Park Rangers? Yep. He was their first coach. So essentially, he started there, you know, kind of second to Peter Vermees, and then he broke off one year, and he went up to one of the Canadian teams. Now he's with Vancouver. I think there's just a little bit extra uh, – pleasure in that victory for Vermees to play against him, a, a coach who was under him and then broke off. But the guys look good. Um, you know, Jean-Luc Busio is really just evolving in front of us. And it is so fun to watch him. The confidence that he brings, the creativity that he brings, um, it's incredible. And then, like I said, Shallowy, heck of a match for him. He's confident, it's so obvious. And what he does on the ball when he's kind of in that zone, feeling confident, feeling supported, he's unstoppable. He is fantastic. So smooth, so classy with the finish. Um, another guy, Ilya, you know, had to sit back and play center back. We know Ilya to be the six. Mm -hmm. um, had to step up and play in the back. And the guy did a great job. You know, what can, what can Ilya not do in life? <laughs> Um, but he did a fantastic job. Vermees said he needed some composure. He needed um, just some leadership and some calmness in that spot. So Ilya went back there and got the job done. Um, they do head to San Jose, uh, the 22nd Saturday, I believe. So it's going to be a good match on the road. It's always tougher. Um, but I think that they're coming together. We did see them not play their best match uh, the week before, but I do feel like coming off of this victory against Vancouver at home will be very good for them. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, th this is a team, Juliet, I think that going into 2021, there wasn't championship expectations, but uh, certainly an expectation to be decent, you know, to be a playoff caliber team. 
at this point, there's no reason why that they, they shouldn't be a, a playoff caliber team. What say you? Yeah, that's tough. Um, you know, again, I, I go back to Beasler again because he's just he was just such a piece of this team. Um, but in his absence, I've enjoyed thoroughly watching Johnny Russell just own that new captain title, right? right. Um, you know, when you when you have a player like Johnny Russell and you have a player like Daniel Shallowy and again Busio, um, Emilia behind you and Ilya, uh Roger still had a big engine left on those old legs. Um, you know, they, they're definitely, they check a lot of boxes um, as far as a championship team. It's going to be getting Polito, Polito, excuse me, match fit and staying match fit. Um, obviously, he's got some international duty here and there, which is going to be a distraction. Um, so that's, that's a wild card for me is Polito, Polito's impact on the team. Uh, I do feel like if he was consistently there, no questions asked, this team would definitely have a very, uh, very good shot at reaching some playoff games and, and pretty far into the playoff. But uh, he's a wild card for me. I don't know yet his consistent contributions. So interested to see that. But did you see Vermees bright yellow raincoat on the sideline? There? Oh, yes. <laughs> Love this guy. He brings like a banana out there. It was funny to hear just the different comments and everything, but, but I know the fans were thrilled to get that victory at home. And I know the, the, the players had to have been as well. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. That was, that was a big deal for them uh, on uh, that front for sure. Um, now tell me this, uh, moving on to, to talk uh, chiefs here, they've had a heck of an off season. I know you've been following uh, that situation there. Ah, I know what happened in the Super Bowl, and we're trying not to – we're trying to put that past us in such year. Yeah, yeah. I'm still convinced, even after that Super Bowl, the Chiefs, you know, had one off night. They were still the best team in the NFL last year. Now the changes they've made this offseason, the, the, the best even got better. I mean, it's amazing what Brett Veach and his team have put together looks like there with the Chiefs. What what do you make of how this offseason has gone so far? Yeah, I think – I mean, you, you hit it on the head, Brett Veach. You know, I think with – bringing Patrick Mahomes to the chiefs is going to be his claim to fame forever. Right. Look what the guy did. Um, but replacing almost an entire position group in one off season, have you ever seen such a reactive, uh, off season? I mean, I know that's what you do in the off season, but let's go back to the game. What was the problem? Well, Mahomes was getting kicked his butt kicked every single play, right? Run for <laughs> Why? There was no line. And so look what they just did in the offseason. They essentially replaced the entire line. So um, I think that not only the guys he's bringing in, are they going to get the job done? I think Veach went for the jugular as far as saying, here's the statement I'm going to make. We needed one fix and we went out and fixed it. Right. Like to your point, they had an off night. We had some injuries, unfortunately, um, spring up right before the big dance, but you know, they got there and you, you, you substitute that line that was in that game and the entire game changes, right? Because mm-hmm. Mahomes isn't touched and Mahomes can do what Mahomes does. Um, but Veach went out and said, we know what the problem is. We're going to take it on the chin. We understand it and we're going to go fix it. Yeah. So to me, yes, I'm thrilled those men are there now to fill those voids. But to me, it's even more like, 
Ooh, look at this message. Like, I like this attitude. I like this approach. You know what I mean? So I'm excited. I'm really excited to see Tardif back, uh, hoping that he's as healthy as we all expect him to be. I'm sure he is. I'm confident in that. Um, You know, it's exciting. I'm excited for all of it. But I do think that they're going to have a chip on their shoulder all year long. And I do think it's going to provide a lot of motivation for them to get back to where they know they need to be. Oh yeah. Yeah. It'll be that way for sure. And LDT, I mean, what a story. I mean, to to do what he did to give up a year to go fight on the uh, COVID front lines and such. I mean, that guy just embodies what Kansas City is all about. I'll be rooting for LDT uh, well beyond when it, whenever he leaves Kansas City and such. I mean, that guy's just what, – what a he's got to be Walter Payton Man of the Year at this point. <laughs> season hasn't even happened. Yet. Yeah, yeah. He's incredible. Um, you're right. To make the sacrifices he did and the motivation behind it, um, to step away – number one – to maintain who he was as a physician, as a doctor, while he's, oh, by the way, I'm also an NFL, you know, football player. Like that blows my mind. Right. But then to have the maturity and the morals to say, my job is needed in, you know, off the field. And uh, I, I get goosebumps when I think about that. I really do. Um, who he is as a person. And now to come back and say, I feel like, you know, now it's my job to get back on the field. Oh, incredible. Incredible. Oh, what, what a story. Now, the schedule came out last week, Jillian. <laughs> what are you most excited about, about this schedule for, for next season? So I'm just excited that, you know, hopefully it seems as if we're getting to full capacity um, for these games. I, I literally, at this point, every single game excites me. Um, I do – love the story of who Andy Reed is and the first time he went back to Philly, the welcome he got talk about another goosebump moment. Uh, I, I just love stories like that. Maybe it's because I'm a coach now. I don't know. I just love that welcome. So I'm actually going to head over to that game. I'm going to okay. be at Eagles. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, but you know, just all the matchups, I think AFC West games are always fun. Um, you know, I'm just every single game, really. I just can't wait to get back. And I'm going to say this, and I know it's not the whatever, but I can't wait to watch the cheerleaders do their thing. I hope they're on the field now. I hope so. I am praying for those girls. They are working their butts off. If anybody knew the work that they put in, you all would be, you know, cheering them on just the same as I am. But I really hope they get back on the field. And I hope that we just feel the heartbeat of Arrowhead again, because we both were at some games last year. It just was, you know, it was, it was great. Uh, it was just different. And so I just can't wait to get back and feel normal again. Um, so I guess all the games, I don't really have any AFC West games are always great. And then to watch Andy go back to Philly will be cool as well. I love that you're going to Philly. That'll be yeah. a great trip. That'll be awesome. Now, now you got to come with me to Vegas. I think I'm going to make you Vegas. <laughs> I feel like that is the most, I don't know if it's the most excited, excitable game or people are most anticipating that one. It's going to be pretty cool though, on it? There's oh, no yeah. yeah. I think every year, I mean, you talk about going forward for the Chiefs now, that Vegas trip is going to be big, but don't forget the LA trip. I mean, that not only is it Los Angeles, but 
that new state-of-the-art SoFi Stadium and what it brings to the table. I mean, they, they say there's not even any shadows in that building. I mean, like, I've never heard of such a thing. I, I want to see it and see them play the Chargers out there sometime. And the Chiefs Kingdom is represented very well there in L.A. in the past. Very well. Who has ever even heard of a game without shadows? Like, who thinks of these things? I don't even know where they get these things, but you know, it's LA. So it has to be big and innovative and it'll be great though. And you're right. There's so many fans out there um, always. So it'll, it'll be great for sure. Yeah, for sure. We got a couple of things left. And, and one of the things that you and I talked about uh, before we went on air was just the excitement to see things at full capacity again. I mean, you guys at Wichita, or experiencing something cool with your minor league team doing well. And we hear the Royals are going back to full capacity at the end of the month here. I mean, in this time of getting back to normal, this is a huge step forward. I don't know about you, Jillian, but I'm very, you know, I've been vaccinated. I'm very comfortable going to full capacity. Don't need a mask or anything. I'm ready to get back to normal. I'm, I'm excited about these days ahead and sports are a big part of that. Yeah, I think the most beautiful thing about sports is that it unites the world, right? You can speak 17 different languages, but you step on the soccer field and you're all playing the same game. You know, you don't have to, um, you can communicate through sports. And I just think that is the most beautiful, powerful piece of sports. And let's face it, whether you experienced loss whether you experienced unemployment, we all experienced a very, very difficult, more than a year, really. And, and some people are still getting through that now. Um, I do lean on sports quite a bit in my personal life to be a mood lifter, to uh, be a sense of normalcy. You know, while we were going through quarantine and whatnot, I found myself back in my cleats with my soccer ball juggling on a patch of grass because that's my therapy. You know, that was my safe place, my happy place. Um, so I do think that our communities, society, our athletes, our fans, our everyone uh, is just yearning to get back to some normalcy and some, I think some of the most excitable things in life can be sports. And so it's, yeah, let's get back. What do we, you know, if you feel safe enough and you feel comfortable enough, to do that, then let's do it. You know, I'm vaccinated myself and feel like I'm not putting anyone in harm's way. I'm not in harm's way and, you know, just really ready for it. So sure, we're we're back in action now in Wichita Wind Surge at Riverfront Stadium, just about 75% capacity, but moving forward with recent announcements, um, looks like we're getting back to uh, full capacity. And to be honest, I, I can't, I can't think of negatives right now from a feeling comfortable, feeling healthy person. Um, the economy needs this boost again. Um, our small business needs people to get out and, and, and just feel like they can still support and then be safe. But to your point, let's do it. Let's get back in the game. Let's, let's use it as a metaphor for life, if you will. Um, can't wait for everything to kind of just open back up again, gradually as everyone feels comfortable, but I feel as if the vaccinated number of people keep rising. Um, I feel like sports are definitely a big motivator and uh, a big place of normalcy and place of joy for people. So 
I can't wait to get back out. (laughs) Again, we're kind of inching our way there, maybe taking bigger leaps down here in Wichita. So enjoy is a great word to describe it. You know, I mean, I I always enjoy having Julian on for for a lot of reasons. I mean, I'm always just brings out the general happiness around here. You know, I mean, uh, what just a wonderful person Julian Carroll is. Uh, Julian, where can people follow you and see all your great work you're doing? Well, I appreciate you, Tyler, because you provide the medium for people to share, which again, is like being back in the game. So I appreciate you for what you're doing because this is not a cakewalk. You put in the time, you put in the work um, and your consistency has never wavered. It has, has been fantastic. So I uh, appreciate that for sure. But definitely follow me, please. <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, all the things. Um, my show is Good Day Kansas. You can find that on Twitter and Instagram. I am Jillian Thomas on Twitter and I miss Jillian Ann on Instagram. I would love to connect. I would love to chat about sports and Tyler, another just big thank you to you and another big congratulations because you have moved into an incredible opportunity and it feels like you're really taking advantage of it. So very excited. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, I look forward to our conversations down the road. Certainly won't be the last one after today. And we uh, always enjoy chatting with you, Jillian. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk again soon. Big thanks to Julian Carroll for joining us here at the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones back here with you now. It is time for everyone's favorite part of the show, Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can reach out to O'Connor Advisory Group online at oagks.com, oconnoradvisorygroup.com. Also, reach out to Bo at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also by email, brian.o'connor at lpl.com. That's brian.o'connor at lpl.com. And also like O'Connor Advisor Group on Facebook. Bo, uh, what do we got going on at O'Connor Advisor Group this week? Man, I tell you, we've been busy. We've been working on some, actually some sad cases. We've had a couple of folks who have lost some people. Been working on some of that. But I tell you what, this is what I want to talk to this week. I'm going to say this. Here's my commercial for this week. You know that person, everybody knows that person that's on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they're talking about the Doge. Yeah. Doge coin, right? I call him the Doge douche. Plenty <laughs> of Doge douches out there. All right. So the Doge douche has lost his shirt the last couple of weeks. They're going down in flames. Let me take a look at this. As we're recording this, Doge is clear down to 34 cents. Doge douche was telling us a couple weeks ago it was going to be a dollar and going to the moon. Y'all must have been so high. Y'all thought y'all were already on the moon. Look, if you're Doge Douche and you made a little bit of money, it's time to get out. It's time to give up, give Coach Bo a call and let's get you right. Let's get you right in some stuff that's going to be right for you for the long term. You don't need this Doge stuff. The Doge is a scam anyway. Doesn't mean crypto is a scam, but Doge is a scam. Let's get you right. Let's get you situated. Let's get you something that's suitable for your situation. Let's look at a long-term approach, not just a get-rich-quick scheme. If that's something you need to help help with, you need to check me out, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, O-A-G-K-S.com, and check it out. Hit the contact. Come straight to me. I'm going to get you taken care of, no matter where you at. I don't care if you're in Kansas, Oklahoma, Guam, New Zealand. We're going to get you right. Yeah, don't listen to the Doge douche anymore. Go straight. Everybody knows at least one. Everyone knows at least one. (laughs) 
I know a few. I know a few, Bo. Uh, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> All right, so Aaron Rodgers. Where are we at with Aaron Rodgers right now? We did hear news that he was offered an extension by Green Bay, that he didn't really seem interested in such. What's the latest on this situation? Do you think this is going anywhere? Where are we at right now with Aaron and Green Bay, Bo? So, you know, I don't think anyone really knows what's going on. I know Adam Schefter is going to pretend like he does. But uh, (laughs) uh, we talked a little bit off the air about that already. Um, Hey, you know what? We've heard some things from like John Kuhn and a few others who've done interviews saying, hey, look, this isn't that bad. It isn't as bad as everyone thinks. This is just Aaron wanting to know where the Packers really are with Jordan Love piece. It's him there. It's the Packers not telling Aaron Rodgers what's going on. And honestly, I think that there's a, a way to look at this kind of an unusual deal. You know, the Packers drafted Jordan Love, and you know, I think there was an ex- expiration date on Aaron Rodgers. I think in theory, this was going to be his last season in 2021. Uh, that would give, you know, uh, Jordan Love a season and, and get him ready for 2022. But then Aaron Rodgers went out there and won the MVP and played better than he's played his entire career. So I think that he deserves another year, and I think that he's going to get that. And I think the Packers are okay with that. Uh, I think the Packers are going to figure out what they're going to do as far as 2022. You know, at some point, you have to give the keys to the kid. Otherwise, you've wasted that draft pick, and they're not going to admit they wasted the draft pick. If they're going to make a trade, well, they got to do that sooner than later because – the longer you wait on a trade for Aaron Rodgers, the less valuable he becomes. Um, he's a he's an expiring commodity at this point. Um, we were talking before we recorded, and I'm really of the opinion now that a lot of this has been a little bit of to do about nothing. I think a lot of this was Adam Schefter. I don't want to say full on making up a story, but I do think he took some things he heard. You know, Aaron's not happy. The Packers aren't talking to him about their plan. And I think on draft day, he wanted to make a big boom and a big news and break a big story. And what better time to do it than on draft day. And that also distracted from what was actually going on in the draft. We all kept thinking, well, what's going to happen with Rodgers? Is it going to happen while we're going? Each pick, we kept thinking about that. The funny part to me, we talked about this already a little bit, was have you noticed that we haven't heard from Mort or Rappaport or uh, Florio or anybody else about Aaron Rodgers being traded. We've only heard it from one person, and that's Adam Schefter. Clearly, he read too much into a couple of pieces of information. Now, I, I speculated that I think he got that information from the Green Bay Packers. I do not think it came from Aaron Rodgers. I think it came from the Packers because the Packers were trying to force the hand of getting a trade done because the best that Packers can ever do in a trade is right now. It'll actually be making the deal in the next couple of weeks, the the trade actually going uh, transacting after June the 1st for salary cap purposes. It'll never get better. So I think that information came from the Packers. That's just purely my speculation. It could be 100% wrong, but I'm reading the tea leaves. That's how I'm reading. This came from the Packers. Did not come from Aaron Rodgers because he's been mum. He just said something by now. 
The Packers are the ones who get, get the most out of it. They make a trade now. They get the best package they can get right now. If they wait to the end of the 2021 season, they don't get as good a package. And they have to make a decision sooner than later on two quarterbacks. So I think that 2021 is Aaron Rodgers' last year in Green Bay. I do think he will be playing for someone else in 2022. I think it's going to come down to two, two one of two things. Either he plays the season, and at the end of the season, he's traded. He being Aaron Rodgers. If two, he's traded. He'll have two years left in the contract. He's still signed for 2022 and through 2023. Or they negotiate a new contract. Maybe it extends him out two more years. They pay him a boatload of money right now. Voidable years, similar to what we've seen with the Saints with Taysom Hill and a couple of these voided deals that are salary cap fixes more than anything else. And the Packers cut Aaron Rodgers loose at the end of the season, but they get nothing in return. They've overplayed their hand. And Aaron Rodgers is the one who can make all the decisions here. I think that Rodgers is in the driver's seat. I've heard a couple of people say, speculate the other way. I completely disagree. I think this is all him now. I think he can just say, you know what? I'll wait to the end of 2022. Someone will give me some money. And he can play one more. And if he doesn't, if he wants to get traded, he can get traded now. And whoever wants him will extend. Now, as far as the market for him goes, if you're a team, let's say Denver or the Raiders or something of that sort, do you continue to pound that phone and try to keep getting the deal done? Or does there come a point where maybe these teams that are interested in there and say, you know what, we can wait till next year when the value goes down a bit. If they're convinced that Aaron is not going anywhere, if Green Bay is going to hold on to him, what about those teams that would be interested? What do they do here? Well, I think the two teams you brought up with the Raiders and the Broncos, they've got to keep pounding the table. And the reason being is that those are teams that are built to win now. They don't really like their quarterbacks. I mean, I think especially the Broncos. If you're the Broncos, I think you're calling every day. But I think at certain points, you got to say, hey, our deal is never going to get better than it is right now. And if you wait another week, our deal won't be as good next week. If you wait another week after that, it won't be as good. You want to maximize it? you got to do it right now. We'll transact June 1 for salary cap purposes, but – I think if you're the Broncos, you're definitely making that call because they're a team that can be fixed and ready to go right now. The Raiders, it depends on how much you like your roster. Um, the NFL is a win-now league, and if you're trading for Aaron Rodgers, you're not trading for Aaron Rodgers just to be decent. You're trying to win a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're trying to – if you're one of those two teams, you're making that deal. Now, I think what happens is – if you get through the 2021 season and Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. They don't, have, they don't have a chance to win the Super Bowl. Not, with, not this year. Their team isn't good enough. They try to get through there, and they get through the season. Now you maybe have more teams looking for a quarterback. You know, maybe the Panthers looking for a quarterback. Maybe the Saints are looking for a quarterback. Maybe there's more suitors, but the price has gone down. Because he's only got two years left. And he'll be 39. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think that the, so the, the demand will be the demand will be higher. That doesn't mean the price is going to be higher. Right. I think the Packers have, I think this all came from the Packers when it's all said and done. I think if there's ever a book written about this, we're going to find out that piece. 
And I think they've way overplayed their hand. And I think that this was Adam Schefter getting getting the story from somebody who probably was only half a story and wanting to be the, the one guy who broke the big story. I think this is going to end up being that Aaron Rodgers is a Packer next year. And I've swapped. I thought a week ago and two weeks ago, I thought there's no chance that he's going to be a Packer. I have come and turned a whole 180 on this because I started thinking about it. And I, it would hit me off as I realized nobody else has a story about Aaron Rodgers being traded. Mm-hmm. If no other insider, quote unquote insider, is breaking a story about this, if Mike Florio is not talking about it, if Morton's is not talking about it, if, um, uh, who else am I thinking of? Jake um, Yeah, Jake Glazer. I mean, if these guys aren't breaking stories about this, they have the same, they're probably the same people that Adam Schefter is. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not as much smoke when it's fire as we think. And, and Aaron would be dumb to, to retire and have to write a $20 million check back to the Packers. Right. You know, he's got he got bonus, he's got 17 million in bonus he has to pay back. You know, I don't know anybody likes writing a 17 million dollar check. I mean, no matter how much money you got. Right. Well, look at Calvin Johnson's when, when he had to write his check back, that relationship is still damaged with the Detroit. Yeah. 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 And I just think if you're the Packers, I mean, the Packers have just blown this out of the water. I think the biggest problem that Packers have, like I said, this last week is one voice. You've got to have, no matter what business it is, doesn't matter if it's a football team, an insurance agency, you know, an investment council, like my company, a chiropractor's office, hey, you got to have one voice at the top that says yes or no. Mm-hmm. No matter what your business is, Coca-Cola, anything else, you got to have a CEO. One person that says yes or no. And the Packers don't do that. And because they don't do that, they're trusting middle management to make a decision. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, how about uh, Joe Burrow? Doctors say that he's on track for a full go week one. Everything looks good for him there in that front. What do you think about Joe Burrow coming off this injury? I know he's got Jamar Chase there. Should we expect to see Joe Burrow pick up from where he left off last year, or is there going to be a, a bit of recovery, you think, of him getting back to his ways? What What's a realistic expectation for Joe Burrow in year two at this point? Well, first off, the Bengals don't deserve Joe Burrow. And secondly, Joe Burrow, what's the reasonable expectation? Reasonable expectation is he's a dark horse for the MVP. Joe Burrow's a stud. Joe Burrow is an absolute stud. He's the best player in that franchise history already. Yeah, he's the best player in franchise history already. His career, the Bengals, they're doing everything they can to keep him happy because he's the best player that franchise has ever had. And he, um, I mean, you would think that he's going to have some hiccups. I think especially with no, the mini camps are going to be shortened. Training camps are going to be a little different. You don't hit quarterbacks anyway. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when he hit a couple times. Um, so that would have me a little bit worried. But maybe it's Joe Burrow. You know, I, 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 that's my dude. I, I, I'm bi- and I'm biased. I admit it. I'm biased. I love Joe Burrow. So, um, you know, does it surprise me he's ready for week one? No, not really. It doesn't surprise me because I know that's what he wanted to do from day one. Uh, the guy is an absolute – he's an absolute stud, and I just think he's going to be great. And But I do worry when he gets hit. 
And it's not because of him. Just worry about what happens with the knee. He gets hit a couple of times. We have first time he's rolled up on because he's not going to get rolled up on in, in mini camp. He ain't gonna get hit at training camp. So he's probably not gonna play that many preseason games either. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine he's gonna play much in the preseason. So uh, a week one, I don't even know who they're playing. I haven't looked, but yeah, I mean, if he's out there week one, uh, that's the one thing I would venture a little bit of concern on, just you know, getting hit. But if he gets up the first couple of times he gets hit, because he's going to get hit because their offensive line is awful, um, you know, then you know you've got a guy. You've got the guy, and he'll be fine. Um, it'll take him a couple weeks to get that rust off too. So he ain't going to come out there and throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns week one, unless they're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're playing the Vikings week one at home. He might throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns week one against – not my man Patrick Peterson back there though. Man, that's probably terrible. I don't want I don't want my LSU guys going to teams I don't like. That bothers me. I like Patrick Pete, man. I don't want him going to the Vikings. It hurt my heart a little bit. I did see he's wearing number seven. I'm so glad they did the rule change. He got to go back to his LSU number. Good for him. I'm still not buying his jersey. Not 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 the Vikings jersey. Can't do it. How about uh, Brady? He's coming off an injury at the uh, end of the season, had surgery and such here, 44 years old now at this point. Um, Tom, in all honesty, you know, not many people like to bring this up. Yeah, they won the Super Bowl, but he didn't look great in the postseason. I mean, there was still three interceptions he threw there against the Packers. Um, What about Tom? You think Tom's going to hold up fine? Nope. Nope. I think that uh, I think that Father Time is undefeated. I think he's warming up in the bullpen. Tom Brady was dog shit for half the season last year. But let's just be honest. Right. For half the season, Tom Brady was awful. Okay. They went on a win streak at the end, and then their defense played spectacularly in the playoffs. And their run game was incredible in the Super Bowl. It wasn't Tom Brady winning the game. Right. Um, you know, people are going to want to play with him. And people, and because it's him, it's because it's Tom Brady, he's going to get the best players wanting to play with him. That makes sense. You know, you're going to be able to put some bits and pieces around him, and it's going to make it easier for him. But, you know, and I don't think I'm too worried about the injury piece. I'm just worried that he's like, he's currently 43. Yeah. You know, I mean – Look, man, Father Time is undefeated, and it's coming, man. He 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 knocked out Drew Brees last year. He's gonna knock out Tom Brady this year. I, I, I I'm rooting for Tom Brady. I want to see him do well, but man, at 43 years old, the quarterback, and he did not play well last year. He, I mean, he, you can I'll sit here and argue with anybody that says that he was great last year because he wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was. There was games last year that, all right, half the season, the Bucs would have been better with Jameis Winston. Yeah, I said that you're looking up at the sky like, are you crazy? No, I'm not crazy. Half the season, <laughs> they were better. It would have been better with Jameis Winston. Now, what does Brady give you? He gives you that dudes want to play with him. He's that dude. I mean, players want to play with him. So, yeah, everyone's going to line up to go to, to, go to Tampa. That's great. And they're going to be a good team. 
And I think it helps the Saints are going to suck this year in their, in their division. They don't have a quarterback. So now, I mean, yeah, the Bucs are going to be the favorite in their division, you know, unless the Saints do something with Jameis Winston. But uh, <laughs> come on, Jameis. Come on, Jameis. But, uh, you know, I, I just think this is it. I, I, don't, I don't think it's just due to, it's due to this injury. I mean, it's just being 43. Now I'm 45. I can't imagine how to play in the NFL. Because I'm shorter, I'm a lot shorter, a lot fatter than Tom Brady too. Um, I just I can't imagine this the aches and pains I have. He's been getting hit for the last twenty years. I, yeah, the pliability and the TB12 stuff, it's all great. But how long are you going to really go? You know, collect your money, man. Give it a run, and he might be able to give it a run. But I don't, uh, I don't suspect that he's going to be at his best in the postseason next year. Speaking of uh, guys getting older and such, uh, Matt Ryan always does Matt Ryan things. Oh, we know how I feel about this guy. Bring it. Matt Ryan said this week he has a lot of good football left. <laughs> Can we all just, like, give a slow clap for Matt Ryan here? No, wait a minute. He said he's still got some good football left. Yes, a lot. When did he ever have good football in the first place? Hey, look, y'all, I'm I'm a Saints fan. I've been watching Matt Ryan twice a year for 14 years. I'll tell you, there's not a more overrated franchise quarterback that I've seen in the last – this generation than Matt Ryan. What do I say about Matt Ryan? I say it every week. You can always count on Matt Ryan to do what? Matt Ryan things. Matt Ryan things. Because in the last two, three minutes of the game, he's going to screw something up. All right, 28 to three. So you got to say. <laughs> His best season. Now, look, he had the one really great season. He, he should have been MVP. He was MVP. He had a great – he was MVP. I'm sorry. He was MVP. And, and you know, the Shanahan was his, was his OC. They were great. They went to the Super Bowl. But – this is a guy who's had a lot of keys. He had a lot of pieces, and but he just cannot get the job done. I, I, I'm not a big fan. And from all of everything I've ever seen, he seems like a great guy and a nice man. But man, I, there's a lot of players I would take it ahead of Matt Rock over, over this last generation. A lot. <laughs> a lot of good football left. That was a lot of good football left. I'll tell you, he ain't got no good football left. Whatever, whatever left, left when Shanahan left town. <laughs> Shanahan took the high divorce parts of it. I mean, that's that's what you have to do with Matt, a guy like Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is Jay Cutler. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the fact. I mean, Matt Ryan is a little more successful, Jay Cutler. Right. Better coaching around him. Speaking of. Yeah. Uh, Cutler, that transitions us over to the uh, Bears. We hear from Matt Nagy, the Bears head coach, say that Andy Dalton is QB1. I mean, Bo, hear me out on this. At the, you know, we, we, you and I both firmly believe that Justin Fields is better than Andy Dalton already and that he should be quarterback one as is. But at the very least, why not at l- just say it's an open competition? We're going to find out who the best guy is, and he'll start day one. 
why do you even say Andy Dalton is QB1 at this point? I, I don't know. It, it, it maybe is to try to motivate Justin Fields. You know, the best thing you can do is come out and say, look, Justin Fields is clearly our franchise quarterback moving forward. And we want to get him up to speed for what this league is. And we want to see what's the best use of his skills and talent in our offense. And that may require that he not play for a season. It may require that Andy Dalton be our quarterback for a year. Um, But deep down, we all know there's no way in my mind that I would not have Justin Fields as the starting quarterback week one. Week one. You can't there's start no Andy way. Dalton. There's so no way I let Andy Dalton start ahead of Justin Fields. Right. Just let him go play. Let him go play. Look, are you a Super Bowl contender? No. That you answered my question right there. Then why can't we go play the kid? Right. If you think your team is good enough with Andy Dalton to go win a Super Bowl, then I'll hear your argument. That's the question I'm going to ask. If you don't think that, play the kid. What do you have to lose? Yeah, and he's not the kind of player like of the quarterbacks in this draft. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago. I wasn't real high on the Trey Lance pick. He's the one player I wouldn't play week one, but it's only simply because I think he needs more experience. He's going to have to be their guy at some point. Right. But I think that these other players, Field, Lawrence, um, Wilson, they got to all play. They gotta, and you might as well throw them out for week one. Why not? What's, what's it going to hurt them? I mean, you could argue that Joe Burrow got hurt last year. But, yeah, freak shit happens. You know? And then people will say, well, what if they go 3-13 and 13 and they're real bad? Well, you know, I know a quarterback that went 3-13, and 13, did pretty well. That was Peyton Manning. Fuck, I can't play a kid. You ain't going to learn the game, sit on the bench. If he's already got the physical skills in the Noah. Again, I, I a different opinion on Lance only because of the lack of experience against a high-end competition. But, I mean, Justin Bills has played against the best competition his whole life at every level. Right. He was the number one player in high school. You know, I mean, he was the number one player in high school. He was, you know, in, in college. He was at Ohio State. He went up against other players. He beat out incredible players in his position. And now he's a first-round pick, and a guy. I think you got to play him. Yeah, I think the whole Matt Nagy QB one is Andy Dalton. Um, you know, I have a saying with my buddies: "Get the fuck out of here with your bullshit." That, that's what that is. That's what I would say to him to his face: "Just get out." No, just you need to change that up right now. Last thing before we uh, move out of Coach Post Football Fix, uh, want to ask you about Dan Campbell. <laughs> Lion head coach this past week goes up, pardon my take, and says that he wants a, a pet lion at the facility and that if bringing a Super Bowl to Detroit required losing an arm, then he would go armless. And we saw his introductory press conference when, you know, he said that he, he wanted to break the kneecaps of their opponents and such. I mean, th- this guy, I mean, he, he's, he's a football guy through and through. I mean, what can you say? Yeah, this is this old school guy right here. This, this dude is this, this dude is something else. Um, so Dan Campbell is someone that we should be making fun of constantly. Um, we Dan Campbell should be like Hunter Pence in baseball. 
you know, we can just keep making Hunter Pence jokes that we used to a few years ago. We should make jokes with this about Dan Campbell. You know, things, Dan Campbell said he was going to he was going to give up his arm to a lion to win a Super Bowl. Now, look, that's great. Everybody wants to win a Super Bowl. He's got, you know, 53 guys in that roster that want to win a Super Bowl. But I'm betting if he goes into the quarterback room and he asks the quarterbacks, which of you was willing to give up your arm to win the Super Bowl, I don't think any of them are going to answer him the way he wants them to answer him. <laughs> I get toughness. And frankly, the Lions franchise needs toughness. But toughness is not something you say or do. I mean, Jimmy Johnson was tough. Bill Parcells was tough. Bill Belichick's a tough guy. Think about it. Is there any team that's as hard and tough as a Patriots team? No. No. But do you see Bill Belichick talking about, I'm going to give my arm? No. I mean, this is a gimmick. He's trying to get people to like him. Hey, I hope for his sake it works. I hope that – I hope it, it – it, it's definitely personality. That's definitely a team in a city that probably needs personality. I mean, think about it. They're a boring – Detroit's a boring-ass sports town right now. Yes. I mean, the Lions are just awful. You have the Pistons. Well, the Pistons are just the Pistons. And, you know, you have the Tigers with the Tigers. I and mean, they're not they're not there. The Red Wings, you know, that's the toughest thing they've got. That's just in the hockey. So you want to bring that tough guy mentality to a hard town. Like, Detroit's a hard town. So I get that. You know, I, I get what he's trying to do. It just now it's kind of played and kind of tired. You know, but this is like, you know, if you, go, if you get a chance, I mean, take a look at that. A picture of Dan Campbell is just incredible. You know, he's a big, muscular guy. He's 6'5". He's like 265. And he played tight end. He's this built, ripped guy. He looks like – he's my age. He's 45. He looks like he – if he was five years older in high school, he would have had a T-top come out. <laughs> I'll bet when he signed his contract, he got one of the Pontiac Trans Am bandits and bought one of those. It's in his garage. That's what he drives on the weekends off from the weekend, just a, a muscle car, you know, something funny like that. That's so, what he, he, the only thing missing with Dan Campbell is a, a mullet. We're a very pro Wikipedia show around here. And according to his Wikipedia page, Campbell is a noted fan of Metallica. I, yes. I could have figured that. Yeah. During his yeah. days at Texas A&M, another part, SEC school, he's from Texas. Yeah, makes sense. He was nicknamed Dan Talica by his roommate Shane Leckler. He also enjoys country music and classic rock. Yeah, couldn't tell you that. During his playing career, he was nicknamed The Dude due to his resemblance to Jeff Bridges' character in The Big Lebowski. I can see that. Upon joining the Detroit Lions, he gained the nickname MCDC by Pat McAfee on his daily radio show. The acronym is short for Motor City Dan Campbell, a reference to ACDC. Dan Campbell looks like the kind of guy that drives around in the Bandit Trans Am listening to the Stone Cold Steve Austin theme song, Oval <laughs> Loop. And I'll bet he's a blast to drink beer with. I'll bet on a 
Friday night at six, seven o'clock. You get to a bar with Dan Campbell. I'll bet he's a blast to hang out with. So yeah, I <laughs> I just I'm man it, you know, being a an NFL head coach, you're very much a CEO. And he's just doesn't look, he doesn't look the part of a CEO or behave the part of a CEO. Um, you know, and the Lions went from Matt Patricia, you know, who looked like he is a, like the was like a, like a homeless bear cub. With that pencil this, and the laminated papers. Yeah, a pencil on a laminated note on a laminated card. Yeah, he that's fraud. Fraud. So I'll give Dan Campbell some passes, but he looks like he looks like the walking embodiment of Texas A&M. If you said, what does Texas A&M look like? And you should have a picture of Dan Campbell. You'd be like, oh, I get it. Okay. All right. It's only a matter of time before Dan Campbell is going to get fired and going to be coaching the old line in the SEC, right? <laughs> yeah, the, next, the next offensive coordinator at LSU is Dan Campbell. <laughs> Eating all that gumbo. <laughs> you know what? Dan Campbell and Coach O would be really great together. You know, he was in New Orleans for a few years. He's Dan Campbell, he's going to go to LSU fight. because he's got that affinity for the Tiger. He would love Mike the Tiger. You know, Mike, I, you know, he would probably want to sleep in Mike's cage or in Mike's uh, area there, not a cage. You don't live in a cage. He has a whole environment there. But yeah, Dan Campbell would be, he'd be bunk mates with him. I bet he'd sleep in the upper part of his bunk bed too. He's not the best with Mike. Yeah. yeah. The guy looks like Texas A&M. That's the best thing I can say about Oh, uh, Dan Campbell. Uh, I hope I hope it works. Uh, he's- I hope he's around forever. God, this will be fun. If they're good at any point, how fun is he going to be? <laughs> I would love to cover the Detroit Lions right now. I would love to be there at the press conference after a big win or a big loss. Yes. I mean, he's going to have a zinger. At some point, he's going to say something that's going to be so great or so greatly bad. <laughs> I'm not sure which one yet. Yeah. You know, it's a great point. A pretty good idea which one. Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Bo, we appreciate the time as always. He's going to stick around for the finish of the show here. We've got a couple more things. Uh, I want to talk baseball. And uh, first off, good news capacity-wise, teams like the Royals and the Red Sox and several others are opening up their stadiums to full capacity. If you're vaccinated, don't have to wear a mask. Great news. Great to see we're returning to normal. In the Royals' case – they should have done this a long time ago because they're not going to get anywhere close to 35,000 fans all season anyway. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of pointless to do the uh, limited capacity in that case as is. But now opening things back up, great to see. You know, the, the Rangers were the first to do this, and people called them out. Even the president and such said, this is way too soon. You don't need to be doing this. This is unhinged and such. And what do you know, Texas has not really had any COVID issues since then. It's gone just fine for the Rangers. It's rolled out great. And now uh, other teams are going to do this too, getting back to the ballpark. Bo, just in the terms of getting back to normalcy and such, you know, I've gone to a couple Royals games this year already. There's just nothing that beats getting to the ballpark, having that cold beer, 
and enjoying a great night out. I mean, this is uh, this is what it's all about. I'm glad to see these teams opening things up again, and and it'd be great just right in time for the summer too, as uh, we're just a couple months away from the month of June here. Yeah, we're right before Memorial Day, you know, and it looks like a lot of teams are going to be opened up even by Memorial Day. That's great. And then, you know, right after as well, and you know, going into the summer, we're going to have a lot of that. Um, you know, it is. Baseball is something that should be seen in person. It's such a different experience to go in person and watch. And um, you don't have that focus on just the pitcher and the batter. And you get to see the whole experience of a game and everything that's happening and to be there and enjoy it. It is great to go. Uh, summertime, it's warm. The beer is cold. You know, you get a hot dog or some peanuts and you're, you're watching the game. I'm looking forward to it. I know I won't be able to go for a couple more weeks, but uh, I'll be out to the K here pretty soon, I think. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of a sign of some normalcy. Mm-hmm. And, and we need that. I think we all need that for our own sanity. Um, you know, it's just... We've all been inside for a year and it's, it's time. we got to get out. So um, it's, I'm glad to see that people have taken it seriously for the most part and right. people are getting their vaccinations and they're doing the things they need to do and social distance and wear your masks and, you know, wear your masks, get your vaccine if you can. And, and let's all get back to get back to life and let's get back to, you know, getting away from this dreaded disease and what we've gone through this last year. And a ball game is part of that, man. This is, um, you know, America is baseball's uh, baseball is America's pastime, and we've heard that for you know generations now. And you can historically go back and look since the creation of baseball. It mirrors what America is, and we're seeing that now again with baseball in 2021. You know, a younger, hipper crowd and some of these young players. If you're not watching, man, you're missing some really great stuff. We had our fifth no hitter. Five no hitters in a time where pitchers don't even really pitch, you know, full games anymore. And we've now had five no hitters as of yesterday. That's unbelievable. And uh, there was a no hitter about three or four weeks ago that was in a seven inning game. And that was, yeah, officially. Was that, yeah, was that one? Was that it wasn't Kershaw? Was it? No, it was, it was a big three days. Okay, I remember seeing it. It was, yeah, I was like, oh wow. So yeah, we would have had six. They, they don't count any no hitters unless it's gone nine innings. Right. Um, that's same as if you had a team that's you know ahead in ninth at home and they don't you know the other team is a bat. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, get back to the ballpark, have a good time. Hopefully, enjoy some Royals baseball. You know, they're not very good. I mean, it, that eleven game losing streak kind of took the air out of them. Look like a really great start. All I wanted um, out of the world, all I wanted out of them is just be competitive till Chiefs training camp. That's all I need. Yeah, you know what's funny though is that they do have some a, a few players that if you know what you're looking for, you know what you see it. They've got some fun players to watch. Um, you know, I mean, they're not last. I mean, they're they're under 500, but they're still ahead of the Tigers and the Twins. And you know, if you look at the roster, I mean. Uh, you got, you know, we're sitting there. You still got Salvi Perez, you know, kind of the old school hangover guy. He's still there. Uh, you know, Ben Intendi is, is great. I mean, watch him, he's fun. Whit Merrifield and Jorge, Jorge Soler. Um, go out to the ballpark, support those guys, have a good time. You know, they're not my number one squad, but man, if you're going to go out to the park and watch on a random night, 
Yeah, get behind those guys. They're fun. Oh, yeah. They how, about, be uh, how about Otani with what he's been doing here? Uh, oh, 14 I, home runs already. I laughed when uh, when Stephen A. tried to chime in on baseball and said that Otani wasn't playing that great because he's hitting 276. I'm like, get out of here. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he's hitting well. He's pitching. His ERA's around two. Um, I mean, Otani, I mean – He's the best show in baseball right now, Bo. Yeah, he might be. He, he really might be the best thing to watch. Um, you know, you've got I mean, just a player that's dynamic as he is, where he can I – mean, he's both going to play – well, Stupid ads. <laughs> you know, he isn't the best. Best player in baseball. I mean, that's his teammate, Mike Trout. But uh, but Otani's great because you've got, I mean, just an unbelievable, almost mythical like situation where a player is able to pitch and hit. It's almost Ruthian, and we haven't seen that. And, and so, and and we've wanted to see that for a couple of years now. We heard these things when he first came over. We heard that this guy in Japan was unbelievable. He could do both, and he just always had some injuries and just never really hit. And then he had to have, um, he ended up surgery and so he couldn't pitch for a year. Man, he's phenomenal. I watched him pitch a couple weeks ago. He was great. The guy can hit. Um, you know, he kind of, hitting-wise, he's a more powerful Ichiro. Mm-hmm. He has the same kind of swing. You know, I'd always, I'd always heard from people that knew that, they said that if Ichiro was trying to hit home runs, he could, but it just wasn't his game. But um, Otani can, and I mean, he's phenomenal. He's great to watch. The other player that I love watching these young players is Tatis, Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, if you haven't seen him play San Diego Padres, he is the future, folks. That guy absolutely has stud him. Ronald Acuna Jr. from the Atlanta Braves, too. Um, just those two guys are on a whole other planet right now. And they could be incredible for a very long time. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Otani's probably your AL MVP favorite at this point. Um, I think so. I'm never, never voting against Mike Trout because Mike Trout's the best player I've ever seen. And uh, he, he's going to end up with 40 home runs and 100 RBIs and bat like 320. And, you know, eventually you're going to, eventually Otani's going to have to come back to the pack a little bit in his power totals. But if, he pitches as well. That kind of evens some things out. I mean, I think Trout even said in the in the pre in in training in uh, spring training that he thought Otani could win the MVP. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So yeah, I just hope the Angels are good. I mean, they've had to do. They've had this. You know, you look at their team these last few years, and it's been the Mike Trout show, and that's it. And it's like, okay, at some point, are you guys going to actually do something as a right. team and be successful? It's not like there's lack of money either to go buy stuff. I mean, like, there's no excuse for the Angels not to be competitive. Yeah, they don't mind spending money. They just cut out of pools. Right. And, yeah, and I like how he decided he just wanted to stay in his same house. <laughs> he, didn't even, he didn't even think about what's the best situation. He was like, well, hell, Dodgers want me. They'll pay me. I don't have to move. And it's probably the best. It's probably the best situation. <laughs> Only have to play two days a week and probably get a ring out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's awesome for him on the way out. Again, he'll probably get a, a really 
I mean, I think it's a two or three team race in the NL. I think it's them and the Padres when it's all said and done in the AL and in the NL. And uh, yeah, so good for pool holes. And uh, I think that was kind of a dick move by the by the Angels, honestly. Uh, but I guess it came down to they just weren't going to play him, and he wants to play. And it's his last season. You know, he wants to. Albert Pujols wants that, you know, kind of, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, Kobe Bryant tour, you know. Right. And he's not going to get that. Now, it's kind of a shame because that guy's been great for a very long time. Well, he's been great for baseball, too. He's, he has. He's done yeah. things the right way, been a great ambassador for the game and growing the game in Central America as well. I mean, uh, Albert Pujols outstanding. Uh, I've always yeah. been an Albert Pujols fan. Yeah, um, I have, too. On that front, I mean, unbelievable player, great humanitarian, everything he's done. And if you don't know, I mean, he's out there doing a lot of stuff for charities. He's got a great foundation that works with um, special needs children, and uh, fantastic what he's done in that space. Yeah. Uh, one more thing on the baseball front: uh, this Tony Larusa situation in uh, Chicago. I know the White Sox are in first place, but. This has been a bit of a mess over there. Uh, you had him calling out his own player this week, being upset about him swinging at a 3-0 pitch, turned into a home run when they had a big lead and such. I mean, the, those those unwritten rules in baseball just drive me nuts. Um, you know, if they're not if they're not written rules, they're not rules. I mean, you know, Larusa, you know, he he says that there's no conflict there in in Chicago, but reports indicate otherwise and such. Here, I mean, this this uh this I think this experiment's going pretty badly, despite what the record may indicate here there in Chicago. That's a team that is going to be limited by uh, who their manager is. Uh, I I think. But what do you make of this situation with uh, Larusa? Well, I, I think it's a little overstepping to say it's going to be a situation. Tony Larusa will handle it. Um, now saying that. I don't want to agree with him, but he will handle it. He will handle it in a way that's going to be good for all parties. Um, I don't want to agree with him on the unwritten rules of baseball. The White Sox are a phenomenal team. They're the best record in Major League Baseball right now, and they're going to be the favorites in the AL. Um, but I – so you, get, you put in – the opposing team, the Twins, put in an infield. It's a 15-4 to game. It's the ninth inning. And there's two outs and the 3-0 pitch, and the guy throws a 47 mile an hour, basically EFAS pitch, right down the middle, and the guy hammers it for a home run. What do you want the guy to do? You want him to take a strike? What does that do? Now it's gonna go 3-1. Right. What are you what are you asking the guy to do? You're asking the batter to take a dive, to not try. Hey, look, you got a pitch, look for it, you get the shit out of it. You know, we celebrate that normally. But because we're up 11 runs, we can't celebrate that? That's part of baseball's problem. Right. You know, if you're watching an NBA game or a college basketball game and you're up 30 and your player throws out a huge dunk, you're watching KU basketball. They're up 20 on Texas. And one of the guys breaks away, steal, wham, right at the rack, a big, huge dunk. The crowd goes wild. They'll suckers will pull him off the court and say, no, son, you can't do that. We're up 20. No. Why is it different in baseball? Why is it different? And, and, I, and I'm an old school guy for the most part, but yeah. I don't believe in the unwritten rules of baseball. I think that it's more prevalent that you're going to get hurt swinging on some bullshit 
later in the count at 3-1 and 3-2. Right. When you are for nailing one over the fence. And what if you walk him? You walk him and put him on first. You're not asking the guy to pinch run. That's fine. Okay, you leave the guy on. Let's say he pulls a hammy going to second. You know? What if he hits a ground ball to the shortstop and he doesn't run it out all the way because there's two outs and you're up 11? And you're going to call the guy out for not trying hard enough? Right. The unwritten rules of baseball are a bunch of bullshit. Yes. They are. I mean, they're just it's it's an antiquated way of – and you notice they also – I'll go to this in a second. But they're an antiquated way of trying to be civil. Mm-hmm. But we don't play sports civilly anymore. We try to win in everything, every level. It's competition. Right. You know, you're an OU, you're an Oklahoma guy. What yeah. did Barry Switzer say about teams? Not my job yeah. to stop my offense. Yeah. Not my job to stop my offense. I'm a Steve Spurrier guy. Somebody once said, What do you, Coach Spurrier, what do you tell people when they say you should be running the score? Tell them to get better. All right. Ain't my problem, you know. It's one of those things, and I'll tell you where I think the unwritten rules of baseball are really bullshit. You notice who they enforce it on the most? Who's that? Latin players. Mm-hmm. If if Bryce Harper hits a ball 475 feet on a 3-0 pitch, which he's done before, and he's styling, he's watching it go, nobody says a damn thing because he's Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper fan. I'm not going to negative about the player. What I'm saying is, if he does it, it's a bad thing. The young Latin player does it. It's bad. The unwritten rules of baseball. If they're unwritten rules, we better teach everybody those rules. Because not everyone understands that. And everyone played at the local Y. And everyone played on a travel team, you know, coming up. And these young Latin American players, they pull this bullshit on those guys before they do anybody else. Right. This wouldn't have been a problem had that been Bryce Harper. Had it been Mike Trout. Had it been Andrew Benintendi or Mookie Betts. You know, it would have been different for American players. Right. I'm not saying white or black. I'm saying American players. It's a a cultural deal. Hey, look, they're going to go out there and try hard. These guys, most of these Latin American players who are playing in the major leagues, this has been their entire life's work to get out of most amount of poverty, to come to America, to earn more money than the rest of their family will ever understand or see. Right. And then you're going to tell them there's some unwritten rules bullshit? Come on. Yeah. It's a, it's a cultural thing, and I think we need, to, we need to understand that. And I think that hopefully when they, Tony La Russa got in the room and started talking to the player – Hopefully, someone was in there telling him, hey, yeah, kid got excited. He swung at a 3-0 pitch, but understand where he's coming from. He's not thinking about the unwritten rule. He's thinking about, hey, I'm trying to stay on a roster. Right. I think baseball needs more of the, the showboating and the yeah. energy and such to attract that younger audience, that younger crowd. Um that's what the game's lacking is, you know, less of the old farts and the old curmudgeons and more personalities. That's the, the biggest problem. You got you and I have talked about this before in baseball right now. The biggest problem is that no one knows these stars and they're not allowed to develop naturally on the field and be themselves. And, you know, just something like that, letting a guy have his moment like that can go a long way. 
So yeah, I've talked to you about a few of these players over the last few months. And it's like, hey, man, and the reason you keep saying those people and talking about the Akunas and the Tatises and these guys is because people don't know who they are. People don't know who Shohei Otani is. And we're missing a whole this whole brand of baseball that man, people would enjoy. It, it is more of a football and a basketball mentality. And you get to watch it every day. Right. So, I mean, there's that's what Major League Baseball has done. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. That's what they've done so poorly in marketing their game. I mean, it's been an F. If you graded it, it's an F, how they market their game. Mm-hmm. Market these young players. Market these young players. These young Latin players. These young, these young black players. These young white players. Whoever it is. Market them. Let them show their personalities. Yeah. You know, let Bryce Harper take his helmet off and that flowing hair and, you know, hitting 450, 450-foot bombs. Let Mike Trout be Mike Trout every day. You know, let Tatis go. Let him have fun with it. Make and baseball fun again. Jorge Soler is the most fun player on the Kansas City Royals. I mean, he's the guy who should be on every billboard. for the He's the best player on the team. Mm-hmm. And we should be seeing him everywhere around town and letting him be who he is. You know, the Cubs have Javier Baez, same thing. But who do we see? We see Chris Bryant, man, and, and uh, Anthony Rizzo. Two great players. Baez, especially. You know, let these young players play and let them play the brand of baseball that's going to be exciting and going to draw eyes. You know, why do we like watching People who watch the NBA, why do we like it? Because it's athletic, it's fun. These guys get after one another. All right. Who do we like right. in the NFL? Why do we like Patrick Mahomes? He's electric. Is there any more an exciting player than Patrick Mahomes? No. I mean, Dell. I mean, Tom Brady's not as exciting as Patrick Mahomes is. No. I mean, it, right. it, it, publicize and. You want to build your product, that's how you build your product. Yeah, for sure. Excitement, eyeballs. Build it through the eyeballs. Get young people to come to games. Yeah, that would do it. And watch games. I agree. Uh, these damn games off of Bally. Get these Royals games off of Bally Sports. Get them on freaking a local CBS affiliate. Or a, I mean, you know, back when I was a kid, you saw that. You know, why can't you do that? Yeah. How many more eyes could you get if you did that? Mm-hmm. You know, put a game, put put one game a week on Fox, your local Fox station, your local CBS, your NBC. Yeah. Make it Friday night, Thursday night, whatever. Mm-hmm. Get more, get more eyes to your game. Right, right. Before we get out of here, uh, time for our Tom Fulry story of the week this week. And been a while since we've gone to the email inbox, but it's a good time to remind you that you can reach out to this show. Uh, by email, tylerjonesradio at gmail.com is where you can find us there. Also on social media, Facebook and Twitter, at Tyler Jones Live. And what we've decided is that since Tom's not here, we'll still keep the foolery going and answer some emails. And these aren't just your typical sports questions or anything like that. We're just here to give advice. And I am going to read off these emails. Bo is going to react to them. And we're just going to do our part to help you because – we're those kind of people around here. So, Bo, uh, our first email 
this one comes from Carrie. And here is what Carrie writes. Hey, guys, this is Carrie, and I'm a longtime listener of the sh- and fan of the show. So here's my story. I've been dating a very nice guy the last six weeks or so, and he's had me to his apartment several times, and it's a mess. Now, I'm extremely clean, so I don't expect everyone to be like me, but when I try to go to his place, it looks like he tried to clean because I was coming over, but just doesn't understand how to do it. It takes me two glasses of wine to get it over. Ah, the part that I can't get over is his sheets. They look old and gross. And although he's told me he washes them every week, I just can't seem to go into his bed, if you know what I mean. We end up just going back to my place. You'd think he'd go out and buy new sheets just for me, but he hasn't made that effort yet. Would it be rude if I brought over a few new pairs of clean sheets for him? Maybe even show him how to clean his place so it doesn't look like a frat house. Signed, Carrie. Bo, your reaction to the email from Carrie. Thank you, Carrie, for sending us that, by the way. All right, Carrie, I'm going to help you. Look, Coach Bo, wisdom for you here. I'm going to lay it out for you. All right, so I'm assuming this is six weeks to have a new relationship here. Yeah. Thanks for moving forward. We're, we're new and familiar, if you know what I'm saying. So, Carrie's man, hey, you're doing your job. All right. Now, listen, Carrie, it's you, your sweetheart. You said it sounds like he's trying to clean before you get there. Okay. Now, look, he is trying to clean before you get there. There's no trying. He's he's trying to do it. So, give him a little patience there. It takes you a couple of glasses of wine. You know, that kind of helps things anyway. So that kind of helps some things along, you know, especially a little familiar, you know, get to get familiar. You know, I get that. But the sheets, Carrie, I'm in your side on this one. The sheets, I'm with you. And this is an old guy. It was an old guy talking. But fellas, if you got dirty sheets, if your sheets ain't right, she ain't going in there with you. And you can't get that home field advantage. And look, the home field advantage is important. You can't let her have it every time. So clean your sheets. Carrie, I don't think you're wrong here. I think what you ought to do is have a a nice, pleasant talk with the young man and say, listen, if you want this home field advantage, you're going to have to clean these sheets. Because there's just certain things that I'm not doing here. You want to come back to my crib? That's fine. But he needs to understand he needs you to be as comfortable as possible. And if he's not thinking that he's not going to do the extra steps to make you possible, make it possible for you to be comfortable, then, you know, you might want to think about moving on to something else. So I'm going to give a little advice to Carrie's man first. So Carrie, grab your man. Hit the pause button. Grab your man. Now, Carrie's man. I don't know your name. Go get some damn clean sheets. Go ask the Target. Get some clean sheets and some pillowcases. You think it'll cost you much? 25, 30 bucks. You can get that out of your mama's purse. <laughs> Come on, man. Are you kidding me? And she's offering to bring over clean sheets, too. And, and Carrie's going the extra mile here. She's right. going the extra mile. Now, I'm not going to call her a drummer foe. I'm just saying she's being careful. I get that. Now, if he's doing that effort of trying to pick up the house a little bit, you see there's a little bit of effort there he's trying. My man, I'm talking to you again. Carrie's boyfriend, whoever you are, I'm talking to you again. Listen, take your rickety ass to Target. 
Throw some clean sheets today. Not tomorrow. Today. today. All right. So Carrie, I'm with you, doll. You have fun. Be safe. Be have fun. And get him some sheets. Don't do anything wrong. you don't want to do. Bono. You ain't wrong. <laughs> Man, this guy's got it easy. I mean, Man, you know, I was a young man once. It was hard work. These kids don't know. You wait till you're my age. I have, I am 45. I've been married for 22, 22 years. Do you know what has to happen in order for that, for the home field advantage in my house right now? Kid can't be home. Or he's got long since they're gone to bed. Dogs have got to be put in the kitchen. I mean, look, it's like it's like playing Zelda in the nineties. You got to get the crystal and the amethyst and all this other stuff has to be done. That's what it's like for relations in the forest. So while you're young, man, do it the right way. You young cats don't know. Tell me, Tyler, are you listening to this? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Tyler? I'm listening loud and clear. Telling you, clean sheets. My sheets are clean. Man, you clean your sheets. Wash that shit every week. <laughs> Sunday, you're doing laundry, throw them sheets in there. They get the first load and you can put them right back on. Do it while you're watching the 12 o'clock football games. Right? Man, ain't that hard? No excuse not to. All right, here's no the excuse. Zero excuse. You can go to the laundromat and go have a couple of beers and come back and pick it up. Yeah, no one's stealing your sheets. No one's taking your sheets, your rickety creamy sheets. <laughs> you Target. And wash your sheets one time before you put them on your bed. I don't know if you know that one. You better wash them sheets one time. Yeah. Don't just take it right out of the package. There's always a loose sticker somewhere you don't know about. Get you at the wrong time. Next email's from Lily. Uh, subject line, too many bridesmaids, not enough groomsmen. Hey, guys, this is Lily. I'm a longtime fan and just wanted you guys to know how much I love listening to your show each week. Here's my dilemma of the day. After getting engaged a few weeks ago, my fiance and I started putting together our wedding party list. He only has four guys for his list, one of which is my brother. My fiance is a quiet, sweet guy who has three really close friends, a sister, and that's it. I, on the other hand, have seven good friends, his sister, and two of my cousins on my list. So basically, I have 10 people and he has four. It's so lopsided and it makes me feel like I should cut some people out. We actually discussed not having a wedding party at all, just a best man and a maid of honor. The problem is he really would have to have three best men. I don't know what to do. Would it be weird to have all of my 10 bridesmaids and, and just his four groomsmen, what do you suggest I do? Signed, Liz. What do you think, Bob? Wait a minute. Is it Lily or Liz? Well, she put Lily on top and then Liz on the bottom. Maybe Liz right. is uh, the, the nickname or something? Lily's probably the nickname. Okay. We're going to address you as Liz. Okay. Liz, let me tell you something. First off, you're in the wrong here. Nobody needs 10 goddamn bridesmaids. <laughs> this ain't a god, you're not a princess. This is not Great Britain, okay? <laughs> Your best idea was to have a groomsman, have a maid of honor and a groomsman. And look, I got married again 20 plus years ago. And I had a problem trying to figure out who my best man was going to be. So I asked my brother, 
Do I ask? I had a number of friends. And man, I ran out of spots. I'm sitting there going, man, I got this, this. We had the same similar problem. We didn't have, we worked 10 deep. That's a little obnoxious. I'm not going to lie to you. But here's what you do. You go find your maid of honor and your best friend. How do you decide that? You decide who is it that you could, if you had to ask somebody to be your brother or your sister, don't ask your brother or sister, go ask, who is the person that you would want to be your brother? If you're the groom, you're the bride, who is the person you would ask to be your sister? That's your bridesmaid, that's your maid of honor. Now, from there, you got a whole shitload of other ones here. You got 10, right? Look, I'm going to be real blunt with you. You are probably in a sorority, and they're probably all your sorority sisters. Now, you're probably young. You're probably in your early 20s. And what you haven't figured out is that in the next few years, you're going to get married. They're going to get married. You're going to have children. Your lives are going to move on, and you're not going to be as close. And you know what's going to happen a few years from now? No one's going to give a shit. No one's going to care that they were not one of your bridesmaids. Take all 10 of your girlfriends and go have a bachelorette party. And you tell all of your girls the bachelorette party, say, listen, man, we're just doing a simple thing, one and one. I'm honored to have my sister or this person be my maid of honor. Look, it saves you some cash. Saves you cash. Hey, man, cash support. Save you money. Go up there and make it simple and easy. Have a blowout bachelorette party. Invite all your girls. Tell all your girls how much you love them. And that no matter what, no matter how long you're with this guy, you're going to love them all. And they're going to understand. They're going to especially understand the older you get. And if anyone bitches about not being one of the bridesmaids, guess what? They shouldn't have been a bridesmaid in the first goddamn place. Oh, I think I have a better solution here. Here's what I got in mind. Okay, let's hear yours. Why don't you just elope and have a wedding reception when you get back and then the bachelor and bachelorette party before you leave and then you don't have to have any formal bridesmaids and and grooms and such. People do the the elope. They still have the party after. They still ask four or five people to be the bridesmaids and they still do it. I've seen that before too. So it's kind of hiding it, but it's not. You're going to have to do it the other way First off, Liz, Lily, whatever your name is, congrats. Congrats. Let's not, let's not, let's not minimize that. You got a man. He put a ring on it. Good for you. Good for him. Thanks Hope for it lasts that. forever. Have children. Have a have a mess of children, too. Just have a whole shit load. I want it done myself. You have a mess load of it. Anyway, no, I, I'm going against Tyler on this one. Don't, if you're going to elope, don't come back. If you do that, it's not a bad idea. If you come back, don't try to have four or five bridesmaids and groomsmen. There's no reason to have a boatload of people up there standing up there with you. They're going to stand there all night, knee and bow-legged, trying not to pass out while you're going to do the, the speeches and all this shit. Nobody wants to do that. Look, let them go sit in the audience. You know how, tell her, I never told you, you know how I judge a wedding? I give every wedding a grade, A through F. Okay. It's, it's not based on how pretty the bride looks. It's not based upon how beautiful the church is or anything else. It's graded on one thing and one thing only. How long was the ceremony? It was more than 10 minutes. It's a beer under. 10 minutes. You should not need more than 10 minutes. 
Get your ass to the reception. That's all that matters. So look. So you're not a fan really, of Catholic weddings then? I'm not. A, oh, God. Oh, I've been in two of those. Never again. Never. Not the up, down, kneel, bow, kneel, bow. No, 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 no. My friends know. And, and actually, amongst my friends, it's known you don't ask Bo to be in your wedding because you got a better than 50% divorce rate in the weddings that I've been <laughs> so don't ask me that. So Lily's, uh, her uh, her fiance doesn't need to be asking you to fill one of those spots. No, no, I'm not filling in for nobody. That's just gonna be a, I'm gonna be, that's gonna be bad news for you. But no, Lily, look, he put the ring on it. Help him out here. Y'all don't need to have ten people standing up on each side. I mean, come on. And then you don't want to have, you know, even seven or eight. And he's got three. It makes him look like an asshole. It makes him look like he ain't got no friends, no people. Look, have your brother and your sisters and your people in the front row. You tell them you love them. You tell them how much it means to you. And how you get away from asking your brother or your sister to be the best man is simple. You go to them and say, chose this person because you are already family and mean so much to me. But this is the way for me to show them how much I love them too. I like that. I'll say this one and more thing. You can't lose on that. One more thing. Really, I got you here, girl. Just 10 is excessive. Y'all choose two, three. Look, the best way to do this, best man, made of honor, 10-minute ceremony, get to the reception. I'll say this. One thing before we wrap up. I've always said, Bo, that whenever I get engaged, we're just going to go ahead and go to the courthouse that week and get married and then I'll do the formal ceremony later on whenever we get to it. Yeah, you know, if I got married now, it'd be a whole different animal. It would be, let's just run off, do something, you know, especially my age now. But if I was younger and going back, you know, we spent a bunch of money on a wedding. It was fun. I think everybody's drunk at my wedding. <laughs> Mine was a little bit of a hillbilly wedding. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> I believe it. Oh, yeah. If you know my people, you know my wife's people. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But no, just, man, just go and, and, and also remember this to my bride and groom to be. This is y'all's day. and ain't nobody else's. So good luck to you, Lily. Liz, Lily, whatever your name is. Good luck to you. And ease off on the 10 bridesmaids. <laughs> and that's a good point to wrap up today's show. Big thanks to uh, Jillian Carroll for joining us, Bo. Appreciate you stopping by, hanging out with us as always as well. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Make sure to subscribe to the show, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star view or don't leave us one at all. On Twitter, at Tyler Jones Live. Facebook, forward slash Tyler Jones Live. Instagram, Tyler Jones Live. Jones underscore report. You can find us there. And uh, have a great rest of your week, everybody. For Brian O'Connor, Jillian Carroll, and Tyler Jones, thanks a lot. It's been another edition of Jones Report. See you next week.